0: This is VOCM Open Line. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. The biggest conversation in Newfoundland and Labrador starts now. Here's VOCM Open Line host, Patty Daly. Well, all right,
1: and good morning to you. Thank you very much for tuning in to the program. It's Monday, February the 5th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams. He's produced the program. Let's get the week off to a flying start. That requires your participation live on the show. So if you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue, 709 273 Elsewhere, it's toll-free, long distance, one 590 vocm which is 86. 26. So, pretty successful weekend for the Newfoundland Growlers down at the Mary Brown Center. Big wins on Friday and Saturday. Then, and yesterday in the 4 p.m. game, I don't know, for me, you know, if you're used to playing at night, the afternoon games might be a bit of a struggle sometimes. They were sleepwalking through the first two periods. Down 3 nothing, but storm back to tie it up, take it to overtime, lose in a shootout. So, get five of the uh, six available points against the Indy Fuel. Weird name for a team. The Rogue split on the road in Kitchener Waterloo against the Titan. Uh, lost yesterday, but still off to a flying start. It was on this date in 1924 that the first ever Olympic Winter Games closed in Chamonix, France, as they get ready for the Newfoundland and Labrador Winter Games coming up at the end of this month out in Gander. If anyone in Gander would like to talk about the preparations, what to anticipate, and whether or not you're looking forward to it, let's do it. All right, just a reminder that as of 8 a.m. this morning, masks are now mandatory once again in healthcare settings. It's the first time since May of last year that that mandatory requirement has come into place. Okay. So I guess, you know, we're told that based on the recommendations coming from public health and the infectious disease team, you know, trying to stem or to try to deal with some of the cases regarding respiratory illnesses. Look, they mentioned COVID-19. We have no earthly idea how prevalent COVID is in the community. We just don't. I mean, the way we used to test has gone by the wayside. People still have some confusion about the testing, period. But anyway, influenza is absolutely out there. Got a buddy of mine down and down hard with the flu. Strep A and whatever else is out there. But one thing I can tell you is that the political arm of government is sure trying to distance himself from this mask mandate in the healthcare settings. And you have to wear a well-fitted medical mask. Can't get away with those old cloth masks that people were wearing throughout the course of it. And people in my email inbox are not pleased. But that's your reminder that as of 8 a.m. this morning. Now, they'll give you one if you go to the hospital, for instance. It'll be right there at the entrance, but there you go. All right, this is really quite something. We've talked with Yvette Coffey, the president of the Registered Nurses Union of the province, many, many times. Generally, we speak about things regarding recruitment, retention, travel nurses, and the like. But some of the numbers that have been captured regarding incidents of violence, on registered nurses is really quite something so every day on average there's a registered nurse hurt on the job because of some act of violence so let's see here the annual total injury reports filed by both registered and licensed practical nurses have hovered around 400 every year since 2016. 2018 high watermark there was 450 nurses filed injury reports But here's what's also uh, not being captured, is the number of nurses that would be hurt, maybe with some sort of minor injury, and they're not gonna report it, and go on leave, and go on compensation, because of course you cut your pay in about half. So I know it's a traumatic and emotional setting for patients and their loved ones alike, but those numbers are really staggering. I mean, you think about it in the larger scheme of things, not only nurses getting hurt, unnecessarily so, but what that means for simply staffing levels. So inside the mask mandate, trying to protect the healthcare workers as well as the general public, and inside the world of staffing and staffing shortages, the unavailability of beds and all the wait times we see, you've got to believe that this is a significant contribution when you have so many nurses every day, every year that are being hurt because of an act of violence. So that story is really quite something. And then you had, you know, the high rate of sick leave. I don't know if we have real good, accurate numbers about healthcare and sick leave throughout the entirety, whether it be registered nurses or doctors or LPNs or nurse practitioners or anybody else in the system, but those numbers of the amount of injuries on the job are remarkable. Anyway, if you're a registered nurse who want to take it on, and just tell us about what you see on the floor on a day-to-day basis, because those numbers are a little bit higher than I thought they would be. All right. Through some, I would think, very thoughtful emails and some conversations that I've had over the last number of days, and this, again, is a very emotional issue, but it's out there, and it's uh, worthy of discussion, in my opinion. And now we know the federal government has now paused expanding uh, medical assistance in dying to folks who their illness is a mental one. So when psychiatrists around the country were brought forth to testify in front of the committee of some 15 MPs and senators, the basic consensus amongst those healthcare professionals was that because the diagnosis as to whether or not your illness is untreatable, it would be maybe a risky play to put medical assistance in dying to those who are mentally ill. Then some of the folks, I don't know if I'll call them advocates, or people who were just thinking about it and writing emails to me, talk about the fact, and this, there's news stories out there to accommodate their commentary, is about this further stigmatizes mental illness and is exclusionary. They're absolutely right. You know, they say there's no category for this type of made when you're talking about cancers or anything else, but once again, we're talking about and treating mental illness uh, much differently. So there's one lady who's uh, interviewed in a news story that I read this morning, and she has insufferable mental illness and associated pain. So while the federal government says that the systems uh, provincially are simply not ready for this expansion, and maybe some of those expansion tools that have to be uh, understood may take years to put in place, I really don't know where to go with this one. To me, when I thought about it initially was if the psychiatrists are raising the red flag, then maybe, just maybe, the pause is absolutely necessary. Now, it may indeed have some political overtones with you know pushing a decision past the next general election. I don't know, but you know, more importantly is whether or not the system is ready. And if the system's not ready, that's where I think we've kinda got out in front of our skis here a little bit. If we don't have the required access to care, then the go to should be to make sure the system is prepared for the number of people who need access to it. So for anybody here who's you know, maybe has been championed as a mental health advocate and has a better understanding of the systems and where the gaps are and whether or not this is an appropriate extension, I would welcome your thoughts on that this morning because from I went from maybe this is a bad idea to extend it to yes you're absolutely right. The further stigmatizing of mental illness because of the exclusion for this type of access, and even just medical assistance in dying as a general concept, is extremely tricky uh, territory to navigate properly and appropriately. But I'm up for the conversation as much as it is as tricky as anything else that we could or should be talking about. But some of those stories are, you know, deeply upsetting. As if someone wants it, and through the extensive consultation with your doctor or doctors before you arrive at this amazing decision, you know, can't imagine having to go through it necessarily as an individual. But I think that's one of those issues that unless we have some public input as opposed to simply testimony in front of a parliamentary committee and or debate on the floor of the House of Commons, maybe just maybe your input could indeed be helpful. And we hear from the Pharmacists Association of Newfoundland and Labrador this morning talking about the deal between Manulife Financial Corp and Loblaws, Shoppers Drug Mart in particular here, for access to some 260 drugs that are specialty drugs. We spoke to uh, the MP, or pardon me, the member for Lab West, uh, Jordan Brown last week here on the program, about the fact that some 75% of the people living in his district are represented and covered by Manulife and there isn't a Shoppers Drug Mart within 600 kilometers. Now the company says, look, we can simply put it in the mail, it's no big deal. But what Jordan says, like, what if the dose is wrong? Fair point. And then you talk about the whole layer of competition in the country, and these you know, solo contracts and preferred agreements between insurance companies and, pharm- and pharmacies is extremely problematic. There was an interview of one of the small independent pharmacists in the area, and they talk about what their competitive advantage would be. It would be good quality in-person care familiar relationships, continuity of care, knowing your patient or client or customer, whatever the right word is there. So this is a problem. I did go and read some newspapers from around the country over the weekend, especially some op-eds where people are chiming in on this, and it seems to me that this is not a good idea. It's a really poor decision here. Now, whether or not it can be dealt with through provincial legislation, I don't know, the province of Quebec is trying to do exactly that, but this is a problem for people living in rural and remote parts of the country. And you know, add to it uh, the dosage possibly being wrong when it comes in the mail. There's a lot of unreliability when we talk about mail service in different parts of the country, especially the more rural, remote, and weather-related conditions that we see quite often in Labrador. So that's a big one, and I think that's worthy of more examination. What do you think? And maybe if the Pharmacists Association would like to chime in here on the program. I know they were on with the morning show this morning, but I think that's a pretty major issue. Okay, how are we doing on the phone, Dave? Let's stick with the feds here for a second. Okay, so this story and the numbers are not really current or up-to-date, but it's the whole concept of just how often provincial governments, municipal governments, and certainly the federal government, how they reach out to so-called expertise outside the ranks of the bureaucracy, you know, the consultants. Now, quite often, I think, when a consultant is hired, it's basically just an opportunity for politicians to hide behind recommendations coming from the consultant and say, well, this is how we were told, this is what we were informed, this was the recommendation made, as opposed to with all of the horsepower you would hope that's in place inside the levels of government to make their own decisions, to uh, have a clear understanding of the landscape, to put forward appropriate public policy, but no. Hire consultants. I'm going to go back to this story. It's a little bit stale now, but I think it's it's emblematic of exactly how the federal government in particular operates here. And this is about the use of McKinsey & Co. Here in the province we hired this American consulting company to look at economic opportunities. It was overdue, cost about a million bucks, and of course there's many other examples of hiring consultants here, but on the federal level, McKinsey and Company really jumps off the page. During the Stephen Harper years, there were some $2.2 million dollars afforded to McKinsey Company while he was the Prime Minister. And in the first seven plus years of Justin Trudeau as the Prime Minister, the companies received $66 million dollars from the federal government, so there is a big concentration some 44% of those contracts went to work being done inside the Department of Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada, but, you know, then there's work done with Innovation Science and Economic Development Canada, also inside of National Defence. But the problem really does quite clearly become, number one, how did McKinsey & Company become so far and away the favourite consulting company for these three in particular departments at the federal level? I mean, there's, that's pretty big disparity between $2.2 million over the course of Stephen Harper's term as the prime minister versus $66 million plus throughout the first seven and a little bit years of Justin Trudeau. But... The whole concept of consultants is kind of flimsy sometimes. Now, I don't suggest that every single consultant contract is absolutely a waste of money and a waste of time, because of course, there will be some niche expertise that the federal government or provincial government needs to bring in for a sober second view. But sometimes I think it's kind of getting away from us. And then the federal government we now understand that there was a contract given to uh, KPMG. They're an international professional services consulting company in particular, looking at national, uh, natural resources. Here's a quote coming from the minister, Jonathan Wilkinson. There are times when you actually need an external pr- perspective to help you think about how to find cost efficiencies. There are times when organizations are actually used to do things in a certain way, and an external pr- perspective can help you find efficiencies. That pretty much says the quiet part out loud. We are so ingrained in our processes and protocols that we don't have people who can stand back, look uh, from the outside, and come up with ideas about how to save money. That is a real condemnation of people working in that department. So he goes on to say that they've identified opportunities to save some $5 million per year starting in 2026. What those efficiencies, whether it be with uh, real property and or information technology, we don't know. But just a couple of examples of the amount of money being spent on things like external consultants, uh, huge numbers if you add them all together over the course of an annual year. And I won't get into that hotel story. And this one, every time I see this headline, it just irritates me to no end. For eight years, no one's been living in the Prime Minister's official residence. Now, for some people listening to the program this morning, it's the big eye roll, who cares? But isn't it just sort of embarrassing? And just think about it. Every time I see this on social media, the reaction is, I'm not willing to spend any more money on Justin Trudeau and his official residences. But remember, Prime Minister Trudeau will not always be the Prime Minister. So if we need an official residence, isn't it time to get at it? So the National Capital Commission, which was in charge of places like 24 Sussex Drive, they've been working on hauling out the asbestos, the mold, the lead, dealing with all the dead roads that had overrun the so-called official residence. So now they say that there's gotta be a decision made here. It's either tear it down and rebuild, or the price tag for repairs, $37 million. And we did it to ourselves. With no real investment in the property over the course of many generations, here's where we find ourselves. So back in 1975, uh, Justin Trudeau's father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, as the prime minister, they raised money sort of in the private fashion to build a sauna and a swimming pool. But successive governments have done little to nothing to upkeep 24 Sussex. So do you think it's either time to get out of our way politically? Because again, whether it be Prime Minister Trudeau or Poliev or Singh or Jani or or Joe or whoever, at some point, we have to make a decision. They can't just stand like that, uninhabitable, for all these years. For eight years, no one has been in there, except for skilled tradespeople trying to deal with the never-ending litany of problems plaguing 24 Sussex. I personally, and probably in the minority, think it's worthwhile to have a official residence for the prime minister for all the associated reasons as to why I think that's a good idea, as opposed to the political back and forth. I mean, a piece of infrastructure that will change hands frequently over the course of time, to make it nothing but political is kind of silly, because what has it done? It's resulted in $37 million price tag and repairs, as opposed to you know ongoing maintenance like you and I do in our own homes, before we come up with a whopping big price tag for major renovations. Anyway, let's get going. A Couple more quick ones before we get back to you. So in the world of housing, we just started with the biggest house in the, or the most notable house in the country. So this is probably a good idea, but I question the impact. So the federal government has announced uh, yesterday that they're going to extend its ban on foreign home purchasing in this country. So it was first announced back in 2022. Now it's going to be extended until the beginning of 2027. There will be exemptions for refugee claimants, temporary foreign workers, international students, of which the international students have been scapegoated as a problem regarding housing. Now, given the lofty price tag for homes in this country, the worry would be that big hedge funds or investment companies would come in, gobble up more and more homes, turn them into rental units, you know, maybe specifically for international students, but the impact is probably not that important. It ranges in different parts of the country, there's of course a different percentage of foreign owned property, but it fluctuates between two and six percent. It's not insignificant, but again, some of these announcements are brought forward by federal politicians as if, wow we've really uncovered a real problem here, and here's what your government is doing about it. You know for protecting two percent of the homes, fair enough now that number could grow exponentially as Canadians struggle with the cost of living, and of course, maybe the want or the need to upsize or downsize your home you're just staying away from it, interest rates, overall price, and everything associated with cost of living envelope but I guess it's a good idea to extend that ban, but whether or not that's actually gonna do enough on behalf of the federal government to deal with the numbers of homes required in this country, the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation says 3.5 million additional units have to be added by 2030 to accommodate affordability and accessibility. So anyway, big one. All right, a couple of very quick ones before we get to you. We just talked about furniture nurses and the incidents of violence in the workplace. We know that the incidents, and we have to stop using the word bullying when we refer to criminal assault that happens in schools, whether it be students on teachers or students on students. Late last week, two charges laid against two teenagers at Corner Brook Intermediate. A 14-year-old male student was badly injured and taken to the hospital. A 15-year-old male youth faces charge of assault, causing bodily harm. A 14-year-old female uh, charge of assault. We don't have big numbers to, you know, just really wrap our mind around. We do know, well, I can tell you, that every other week I get a story from a family sends me an email about whether it be the bullying and or these actual assaults that are taking place. But we've got to get a, some control over this stuff. And this one took place inside the school. We know the concerns regarding security and monitoring of the playground and the parking lot, but this actually happened inside the confines of the school. So... I would imagine some of the contribution to this whole chronically absent issue that I'd like to talk about because I think it's a big story is, you know full well, there are a number of people listening to this program this morning who is a struggle with their son or daughter every day to get them to go to school. Why? Because of fear of their bullies, fear of the violence. It's very real. And in your developing years, it can be completely overwhelming. So getting some measure of control in place here and speaking with our own children. You know, there may indeed be people listening to think that, well, my child is not a problem at school, but yet maybe really don't know what goes on at school or whether or not part of peer pressure or mob mentality. So maybe even if you think that your son or daughter is absolutely on top of their game academically, emotionally, and societally, it's maybe worth a conversation that we all have because these stories are just terrible. So for the kid who's hurt, get well soon for the kids who perpetuated the violence you have got off to a really terrible start as a teen some of this stuff will dog you and chase you and haunt you for a long time so that conversation has got to be better all right how we doing out there david let's get her going folks uh we're on twitter we're the open line follow us there email address is openline com. but when we come back let's have a great show ruby's there to kick us off talking about housing don't go away welcome back to the show let's begin on the top of the board on line number one ruby you are on the air Good morning, Patty.
2: How are you this
1: morning? I'm doing okay. How about you?
2: You have a great show going. Well, I am uh, again frustrated about the housing, the tent situation, and I just want to put out this question to whoever the authorities are in government. Please tell me what you've offered those people, and they refuse, because I'm hearing that. I visit those tents on Saturday before all of the rain yesterday and last night and it was in a very deplorable condition when i visit on saturday so i would hate to see what it's like today i challenged somebody from government to check in on them see the condition of i've been told on saturday there are now eight people staying in those tents with no bathroom facilities They had no no, or very little food. They had no water, and they had nowhere to dry clothes or even have extra clothes to put on when they're wet. It's all okay for us to hear that shelters have been offered. Okay, we all know the conditions of some of those people that are in tents. A shelter is not the answer. That's okay to come out and say, we offered him shelter for last night. You go in, you got your little bag of clothes, you close your eyes, you wake up, your clothes is gone. Or you get up in the morning and say, now you have to go outside and come back at 5 o'clock at E in the evening. You're not allowed to stay around here all day. Where do those people go that have very little places that they can go unless it's the mall somewhere and they get drove out because they don't want them hanging around there.
1: Yeah, you, you Where see,
2: are they going to spend the day to keep themselves warm and dry and fed?
1: It's a fair question. Uh, you'll see them quite often in the doorways where people will be doing some shopping or what have you. Uh, but did you take the opportunity, Ruby, when you were there on Saturday to ask people who are there what they've been offered? Because We've been told many, many times that the first offer is a mercy shelter, which is not great for many people. Now, not all the shelters are the same when we talk about violence and drug use and monitoring and the rest of it, but some of them are terrible. we know that some people have actually even turned down hotel rooms. I'm not sure why. I heard one gentleman say that, well that's not what he needs or wants is a hotel room. But I would imagine during the winter months in particular in the rain and the snow and the sleet and the hail, a hotel room might be an excellent option versus in a tent in Banner Park. So did you ask anybody about the offers?
2: Yes, I did. I spoke to three people. I said, "Please, can you tell me if you've been offered any shelter?" And those three people who hadn't been there more than a week, I think, told me, no, they were not offered anything. Now, I can only repeat what I've been told, whether that's true facts or not. I'm challenging somebody from the authority to tell me whether those eight people has been offered a place where it was offered to, Not a place that they could go in and put their head down tonight, but get up tomorrow morning and take their few things and walk the streets till six o'clock at night again. Where do those people get food? Where do they hang up their clothes to dry? Where do they get bathroom facilities? This is not good enough to say I offered a place. What did you offer? And remember, it's our tax-paying dollars that's paying those 125 upwards to $275 a night just to be kicked out in the street in the day. Uh, Patty, it, there's something wrong with this system. Go in there and visit those people like I did on Saturday. See first and what I saw and come back and tell me that's Okay. I can't sleep at night thinking, oh, my God, when I heard the rain last night, I bet you anything I own in the world, most of them were flooded out last night. And I'd like to see the condition of them down there at that tent this morning for their little bit of food, if they have any, if some people have brought them. I know people are tired of it now. It's been going on since August.
1: Oh, it's been going on forever. It's been going on forever. The fact is, when they decided to put their tents on the lawn across the street from confederation building, it just brought a new type of attention to the homelessness issue. Really instigated a lot of conversation about it. But then, you know, it kind of waned. When the government made their announcement about the lease of the Comfort Inn for three years and the 140 rooms in so-called transition, then maybe some of the support kind of dropped off a bit or the conversation stalled somewhat because people thought, well, part of that is a... Potential solution. Now, there's still major questions to be understood about operations and eligibility and services inside the Comfort Inn, but it's been, it kind of took some of the wind out of the sails. Pardon? Do you know what the criteria is? Because I don't. Nobody does. So uh,
2: are those people intends being told that you can make an application to Newfoundland Labrador Housing or to whoever the case might be? I asked the question the very same day it got announced. I was told that I would be contacted and I would be told what the criteria are. That hasn't happened. I'm not looking for it for me. And God forbid I hope I never have to for anyone belongs to me. But those people that are out there are some mother's child, brother, sister, father. I don't care who they are. I will fight for them and help them in every way I can. And when you say this tent city has been forever, you're absolutely right. Because I go to three other sites that has nothing to do with the tent city down there, and I bring them clothes and I bring them food, and I find out one is living in a ditch in a tent. So if the people think that just what down at Badaman Park are the only, homeless people in this city, they should take a drive around. They should take a few hours a day, get out there and really see. Government is doing... Okay, they're trying, they're showing, they're offering, they're doing this and that. And I appreciate that. I really do appreciate it. But it's a long time from now until March that the airport in gets ready. What happens to those people? Last Saturday, one girl came to me. She was nearly crying at the tent. She said, my brother is so sick. He's in that tent right there. And he's so sick. You know, I couldn't offer him medicine. I couldn't offer him things. And I certainly didn't know why he was sick. And I couldn't go talk to him. That's not my place. I bring things. I do what I can to help. But we have medical staff. We have professional people that can check in on those people, see if they're okay, see if they need a little drop of propane to keep them warm tonight. This is terrible, and it's not getting better. And when governments say that we have offered them a, a solution, what is the solution? Tell me what you've offered, please. Come on your radio and tell me. What okay. What for those people in the tent? We're we're what happy.
1: We're, we're happy to, to invite North them Caribbean on.
2: And leave
1: okay. eight o'clock in the morning. Right. Uh, I, I understand all those points, Ruby. We're happy to have anybody on who's in a position of authority or a member of the task force to answer some of these things. But there is not a one size fits all, nor is there just one simple answer to your important questions. You know what no. also gets lost in the shuffle here is you know, like everything else, once we react after someone is homeless, once we react after someone has become ill, which is pretty much how we operate inside the world, whether it be homelessness or healthcare or anything else, as opposed to having a real firm grasp on understanding how people find themselves in this particular life predicament. And consequently, what can be done to try to decrease the numbers of people who find themselves in a mental health crisis where they find themselves homeless, or in the death spiral of addiction, and or any other reason as to why they're homeless, because we just react after the fact. I'm not so sure we get out in front of things as quickly as we could or should. Now, the one gentleman has taken me to task about giving some kudos to one of the programs that I think is going to be helpful, and that's the Employment Stabilization Program. So even at the Comfort Inn, wraparound supports for physical health and mental health and social worker on site, what have you, we've also got to do whatever we can do for people who are willing to accept the help to try to put them back on their own two feet, put them back on a better path, you know, so that homelessness is not the reality. Ruby, I'll give you the final thoughts quickly before i have to go
2: okay i will have i will put this out there i had one gentleman come to me who is in a shelter he was accepted to go to humberwood in cornerbrook but because they would not keep his home for him they couldn't guarantee in the shelter when he come back he had to have a resident to come back to he couldn't accept the offer of going to humberwood right Now, there is major issues out here, Patty, that the government is not looking at. They need to get a little bit more involved in this if we are going to try and help those people all the way around. Thank you for taking my call. I just want people, if they have a a heart at all and can drop off a case of water or a case of juice, that's badly needed at at the moment.
1: I appreciate the call, Ruby. Thank you. Yeah, there, look, there's still looming questions about the Comfort Inn. I totally get it, you know, right back to even price point. So with leasing at the cost of some $21 million over the course of three years, apparently there was never a conversation or an approach made that would consider purchasing the Comfort Inn because, you know, if someone asked the question, well, what happens after three years? Good question. You know, if there's another release, that's one thing. But, you know, there's examples where provincial governments in other parts of the country have actually bought these types of uh, hotels and own them outright and so that at least we'll know that in four years from now there's still that opportunity for transitional housing and i'm still not 100 percent sure if that's the best idea of all time but if you want to chime in on that or anything else any industry or sector of the economy any issue big or
0: small we can do it right after this break talk away Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers. Your go-to source before you get on the go. Five thirty to nine a.m. weekdays. Your VOCM mornings. Welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number two. Joe, you're on
1: the air. Oh, hi, Patty. Good morning. How you doing? Doing okay. How about you?
3: You can hear me okay. I can hear you just fine. Okay, good. Yeah, Patty. I just want to talk about. Uh, it's kind of a <clears throat> Continuing on with that lady talked about the tent city and stuff, you know, um, as you've often preached to, I mean, we, we really need to get to a living wage. But I don't think most taxpayers who are working are are open to that concept, unfortunately, you know. And the other thing is when we talk about a minimum wage, you know, what, 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 is, what do you mean by minimum? Minimum for what? You know, because you can't live on it.
1: No, right. well, I guess technically it's, it's just the uh, the least amount of money that you are allowed to pay to somebody would be the minimum yeah. wage. Yeah. You know, I find the minimum wage conversation uh, somewhat frustrating because it's not – again it's not a catch-all you know it doesn't paint a very clear picture because if one of my boys is working and earning minimum wage living in my home with very little to no expenses that's one thing but if i'm a single mom or something for instance on minimum wage is a completely different issue so when we just talk about you know if you raise the minimum wage then you'll get to a certain point where people affordability issues are addressed yeah for some we're not all
3: yeah You know, and uh, I'm helping uh, uh, a friend of mine, you know, who, uh, anyhow, he's in a bit of a situation. He was living somewhere, and it's involved in an estate. And once the estate gets all settled and everything, he was living in that house, but he had to move out, right? And, you know, he applied for income assistance because he's in a crunch. And once the estate gets settled, he'll be okay, right? So he went to income assistance. You know, and he said, and they offered him six hundred dollars a month, right? Which is thirty dollars a day to live on, right? You now that's everything, right? You know, and uh, so he had to move out, you know. And a friend of his offered him a room to rent for five hundred dollars a month, utilities included, which is very reasonable considering today's uh, prices. You know what? Income assistance came back and and gave him two hundred and fifty dollars, right? And I compare that to, I know there's hotels on Kinmont Road, and I'm not racist or anything, that are full of immigrants that are getting three meals a day and their room paid for, which you would assume it's at least 150 or $200 a day. You know, that's six grand a month, right, for to pay for immigrants that come here. And I'm not racist. I'm just using this as an example as government policy. So how come the government can't find a little bit more money for this guy to live on you know his friend is doing him a favor he said you know what i'll just charge you whatever you can afford me and we'll work it out later you know when you get the estate settled right but you know and that's a situation where we got people living in tents you know and you talked about government programs that they can't do anything themselves you know they and i'll give you an example the, the metro bus uh, we're given to a non-government organization, uh, I think it's within the last six months or so, $400,000 to study to uh, make the buses electric, right? Mm-hmm. An engineering student could do that in a month, Patty, would collect data from online. We don't need to pay a non-government organization. Surely to God, MetroBus, or the Department of Transport have got some engineers or technical people that could do that evaluation. Why are we going to an NGO to pay for those sorts of things?
1: Fair enough. I spoke to a couple of examples off the top of the show. And insofar as hotels go, the number of hotel rooms that are being paid for by whatever department, that include people that are born and raised here, there's huge numbers. I mean, I read a story not long ago where a guy was frustrated with his hotel room, and he's, it was somewhere on the west coast, and he'd been in a hotel room for four months. You know, that's not really an easy way to live either. I mean, for instance, no way to prepare your own meal, so you're still reliant on some other level of support, whether it be financially or otherwise, so it's not ideal no matter how we slice it. and.
3: In most cases, their meals are being prepared for them, right? Because I know a guy that works preparing the meals. So, Yeah, not
1: necessarily. Not, this guy had, this guy didn't, uh, that he yeah. was interviewed for one of the stories. But anyway, uh, anything else you want to talk about this morning, Joe? Uh,
3: yes, this uh, work stabilization program you talk about. Is that the one where you're talking about where they got 40 people yep. off of? Yeah. Do you know how many people are on uh, income
1: assistance in Newfoundland, Petty? Somewhere around 27,000.
3: Yeah, and that includes this 20,000 and 28,000 plus. So we're talking 40 out of 28,000 people, and they're going around like it's the best thing since Ben Hur, you know?
0: No,
1: no, no. You know that, I mean? that, that's not an accurate depiction of what's happening, though. For starters, it was uh, just a pilot, and it was only here. It wasn't province-wide. So there was only 170 people that were enrolled in the program, so it's 40 out of 170, not 40 out of 27,000.
3: Yeah, I know, but it's 170 out of 28,000. I mean, it's a joke to even talk about it. That it's a really effective program, right? So 40 people found work because of it. So I mean, it's not a. And you, you've talked about it a lot, and and the other politicians have talked about it. Look at this great program, right? And in the meantime, they're offering people twenty dollars a day, right? You know, and this guy, well, he can't even drive to a food bank.
1: You know, but wait, now? I'm a little confused how everyone's so quick to say that you can't call something a success one? somewhere around a quarter of the people inside 11 months were no longer on social assistance. I mean, if that gets expanded, and even if the success rate is still just remains at 25%, there's something to be said for you know taking five, 8,000 people off social assistance, putting them back into the workforce. You oh, know? No, no, no,
3: no, 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 Patty, that's not fair. You're talking five to 8,000, right? We're talking 40. When did that happen? A year ago?
1: I said if the success rate is the same across yeah, what, the board.
3: Was the, was the program expanded? Or they've been talking about these 40 people for a year, right? In the meantime, they're paying $200 a night for people to stay in hotel rooms, right?
1: To so, feed them. So wouldn't it be and, better? And
3: someone who needs
1: assistance, yeah, hold on.
3: Right? Is offered $20 a day. From the same government. Wouldn't like, it be better?
1: Wouldn't it be better if someone like that was able to avail of that program and no longer needed to ask the government for help?
3: He couldn't avail of it, Patty, because he doesn't have enough money to drive for. He doesn't live in
1: Saint John's. Well, right? it's expanded across the province, uh, yeah. or so we're told. So I'm not but sure. Can't
3: live on he Can't live on, Patty, can't <laughs> live on twenty dollars a day. Right. That's what the government is giving people here. That's way below the poverty line. Especially if you're in a rural place that has no, uh, no, uh, you know, public transport, right? It's impossible. How do, you, how do you live on $20
1: a day? No one said you could. I'm thinking well, that... then
3: that's what the government <sighs> is, is giving people, Patty.
1: Well, that's why I'm thinking it's probably a better idea if we try to find people a way to get off of that requirement of social assistance to be on their own, their own two feet, self-reliant in the workforce. That's why I'm thinking that maybe that's a good idea versus the continuous reliance on $20 a day, which is not enough to do very much in this $20 world.
3: $20 a day. You need to give people more money, Patty, so that they can live on their own. Right? You can't live on twenty dollars a day. So what? What happens? People start living in tents.
1: Yeah, I, right. I don't know how this. We're so disconnected here. I'm talking about giving people the opportunity to not rely on twenty dollars a day. It's to maybe do better, even if you're oh, okay. earning when minimum you give wage. Your
3: twenty dollars a day. How do you? How do you take advantage of these programs that are not? Yeah, we're just
1: talking in circles day. now.
3: No, no, not really, Patty. Yeah. No, because well, what? Okay, so what do you believe the government should give people a living wage?
1: Depends on what that even means. See, that's just like affordable housing okay, and accessibility. So
3: it, it, uh, living wage is calculated at $24,000 a year. That could go over the poverty line, right? Poverty line is $24,000 a year annual income. $600 a month, which is what the government gives you, is what, 7200 It's a quarter of, the, of, uh, of a poverty level. So how can we continue to pay non-government organizations four hundred thousand dollars to do a study that an engineering student could do in a couple of days?
1: Right, we've had that one. Yep.
3: Right. And uh, so, do you really? Do, I don't think you believe in a living
1: wage, do you, Patty? Do you believe people should be given a living wage? I think people should be paid commensurate for the work they do, and uh, what a living okay, wage no, means. No,
3: no, no, no. That's not. You're not answering my question. If well, you're not because able to the, find work and you can't creepers, work. Creepers. Right. If you can't find work and you're not able to work, this guy has some medical issues too that I'm trying to help. Don't you think that the government should just give him enough money that he can afford to have a phone, so he can probably find a job? Uh,
1: gas. To but put I thought he cars. couldn't work. What's that? I thought you said he could not work. No,
3: he, no. Recently, he's had some medical issues. Now they they have starting to get resolved. So, but for a time there, he couldn't work. Right. So this this is my point, Patty. I don't think you believe that you talk about a living wage, but I don't think you're you you say that person should only get it if he's able to work. No. What happens if he can't find a job? What happens if they take his phone away?
1: Where, how are you? How are you trying to tell me what I think or what I say?
3: I'm asking you. Do you believe? In a living wage. Do you believe that people who who are on income assistance should just be given a living wage, which would be the poverty line, which is $2,000 a month? That's what when people went on SERP, that was the number that was determined that people needed to live on was $2,000 a month, right? Right. Yeah. Well, how come we can't get that to people that are on income assistance?
1: I don't think there's a simple answer to the question that you're pretending is a simple one, but it's not. I think that people ne- need to have enough money so that they can keep the wolf away from the door, they can okay, eat properly so and have a safe place. Wage, to- Patty, you asked me a question, be- I started to answer, then you interrupted. So let's just okay, say goodbye. Well, that's defined as a living wage. So do you believe... I tried to answer it, the- and you just jumped in again, so I- okay, I'll speak to it okay, after so we say goodbye. ask me again, Teddy. Do you believe... That people
3: should get paid a living wage, which would be equivalent to the poverty line, which is $2,000 a month, which is what was determined with CERB.
1: There's a bit of a difference there because CERB was afforded to people who were unable to go to work because their business shut down or they lost hours. So there's where I think you're pretending that it's a simple question when it's not. Every effort has to be made that everyone who can be in the workforce, should be in the workforce. Then, when you back all those people out of who are now social assistance recipients, then you have a number. (laughs) I appreciate the call, Joe. Take good care. All right, a little bit of circular featured that one. Uh, let's see here. When we come back, we're looking forward to speaking with you on what? Up to you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number uh, one. Good morning, Paul. You're on the air. Hi,
4: Patty. Good morning. I got a bit of a cold, so bear with me. No problem.
1: Patty, two things.
4: I won't be long. The first one, the gentleman just called. Uh, Patty, I go to the food bank. Uh, I go to the Army, I guess it's of the hope downtown, and uh, once a month. And I was there last month they were passing out uh, along with the hampers. They were giving everybody a a slip of paper. Uh, the government's got something going on now uh, in, in in association. I don't know what school it is, Patty, forgive me for that. But uh, they're trying to train people to get into uh, retail, learn, learn about retail. So on the pamphlet, I don't have the pamphlet. I wish I did. I was looking for it here before I got on to you. But it's a, it's a 12-week project, I believe, along my memory now. You spend so much time in class, and the rest would be in a retail outlet to, to learn the ins and outs of retail. If you were willing to sign up for it, I think it was January 22nd, around then, a 12-week program, the government will give you $200 just for signing up. And at the end of the two, uh, 12 weeks, you, they get another $200. So that's just an example, Patty, of what the government is trying to do for people. So, which is good, it's a good thing. How many people signed up for it, but I'm sure there will will be. Signing up money uh, is an incentive for people. Even though it's only $200, they're still going to get their income support on top of that. So $200 when they sign up, $200 if they manage to finish the course. But the reason why I called Patty was about antibiotics. Oh, okay. Uh, they, they, don't, they don't give you antibiotics, Pat. You go to Every time I've gone to my doctor, I've got a bad cold again now, and he won't give you antibiotics. They give you some. I don't know, amoxicillin or something it's called, and the printout that comes with it at the pharmacy says uh, it's not for the cold or flu virus. And you take it, and it's totally—I may as well take aspirin or something. It's useless, Patty. Well, uh, When I was growing up—I'm sorry, Patty. When I was growing up, you had no trouble getting antibiotics. And what and, uh, <clears throat> I'm thinking, <clears throat> it's like they're afraid to give you antibiotics anymore. But I think one of the reasons why you're seeing more and more people in hospitals, Patty, is because the government or the doctors are not giving you the damn antibiotics to help people. They always worked for me. But antibiotics aren't for calls.
1: Antibiotics are for it's bacterial th- infections.
4: It's not for coal, Penny?
1: No. No, that that's it's an interesting conversation because far too often doctors were prescribing antibiotics for things that weren't bacterial related, and so consequently they really don't do much of anything. So we overprescribe antibiotics here in this province. It's long been a problem. Uh, even when we talk about global resistance to these superbugs, it's getting out of control. The pandemic we saw a dip in the amount of prescriptions for antibiotics, but now we're back to somewhere in the neighborhood of 800 antibiotic prescriptions per 1,000 people. We have we we prescribe more antibiotics per capita than any province in the country which is amazing okay
4: well yeah because now what I was thinking Patty, that maybe that's why more people end up in the hospital but they end up look, you were saying that you one of your friends had bad uh, influenza now now or something I'm just wondering, is he getting any antibiotics or anything,
1: Patty? I, I don't know what sort of drug treatment he's taking, to be honest with you. But, like, we had Dr. Peter Daly on the show here. I can't remember, not that long ago, because he's been the fellow that's raising red flags on this thing. And the overprescription of antibiotics, and it used to be the rally cry was, make sure you finish it the entire course, as opposed to when your symptoms start to ease up, then you can stop taking them. But now it's we're just prescribing that far too often for things that are not bacterial-related. So, as a result, we have a bunch of uh, superb bugs that we don't really have an antibiotic treatment for. So it's becoming a real problem of resistance.
4: Yeah, it's hard. It's hard because what they give you now, uh, again, I think it's amoxicillin. It's like caplets three times a day, but they don't work, Patty. That's all he's ever given me, and they just don't work. You just got to suffer it out for like two or three weeks. That's, that's the problem. You think... But, I would have thought antibiotics. They used to call me yellow jackets, I think, one time. Something like that would have helped, you know. But, but isn't you know, amoxicillin
1: just a penicillin antibiotic? Uh,
4: it may be, Patty, but it, it, it's not working. It, it doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me. Why, I don't know. But I, I usually have to go two or three weeks suffering with the flu. I'll take holes, cough drops, Tylenol, whatever else. But that's all they'll give me. Now, I am diabetic. I don't know if that makes a difference or not, what they give you in regards to the common cold, but Patty, the doctor that I go to now, uh, you know it's hard to get a doctor. I can't leave this doctor, but when I went to him about my diabetes a couple of years ago, and this is a true story, uh, until I got diabetes, like if you accidentally cut yourself, uh, the cut will heal, obviously. But when you get diabetes like I have, sometimes if I get cut somewhere, the scab will heal, but the redness will still be there. And I asked him about that, and and he told me that's... What he told me, Paddy, he said that's not diabetes. that's the color of your skin, and that'll cover, that'll heal in a couple of months.
1: Yeah, I I and really don't know. I mean, uh, no, about I that. know,
4: but I mean, that's we know our own bodies, Paddy. Well, if you're healthy and your cuts, you know, it heals. But now it's red marks left behind, and he's telling me it's not diabetes. But I'm not a doctor, but I know it's got to be the diabetes that's causing it. And he said it would take months to heal, but the, I still got marks on my legs from years ago, Paddy. So it's got to be the diabetes, right?
1: It could be. I'm really am not that's 100% sure what we're talking about. But, uh, yeah, the color you're seeing. You I know, know, your know your own
4: body. I'm white, you know, so I don't know what he meant by that. <laughs> but that's what I'm up against. But no, it's just basically about the antibiotics. But apparently you're saying antibiotics are not meant for bacterial infections? No,
1: antibiotics are for bacterial infections. And the unfortunate reality, and it's not because I say so, because Dr. Peter Daly and others who have come on to talk about that type of issue, now they're talking about the long-term effect of antimicrobial resistance because we have been over-prescribing antibiotics and specifically over-prescribing antibiotics for things that antibiotics aren't meant to treat. So unless it's a bacterial infection, there's really no value in taking an antibiotic. And you say amoxicillin. I mean, I'm pretty sure that isn't an antibiotic. It's just penicillin antibiotic, right? So anyway, I hope you get well soon. How about that? I appreciate that. Anyway, thanks for your time, Penny. Appreciate yours. Take care. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Yeah, I mean, I suppose we can indeed revisit it. You know, I've got a bunch of doctor buddies of mine really quite cross when I talk about things like the fact that some addictions actually begin on a doctor's prescription pad. Now, of course, if you have serious pain, complications from uh, surgery or what have you, then some of the opioids may indeed be the proper course of treatment, but that might lead to a reliance on them. Same thing when it comes to antibiotics. You know, when we had Dr. Daly on the show, he's an infectious disease uh, doctor and a uh, microbiologist at Munns Med School. is. How does it happen that a well-trained medical doctor who knows full well that what the person is suffering from is not treated by an antibiotic yet willfully wrote a prescription for it so if it's not a bacterial infection I don't know why anybody would have ever received an antibiotic but the overprescribing has indeed been a problem they're talking about you know the uh, resistance the antimicrobial resistance which is becoming a global concern not just the fact that here in this province we really do uh, We really do have a problem with how we prescribe for certain ailments. Then, yeah, too, we mentioned his uh, diabetes. You know, I wonder if you were someone who has type two diabetes, and the problems that people are finding. And it's not new that we've had drug shortages in the country, but now we've got a newfound drug shortage regarding Ozempic, which was created. Now, there's all sorts of things for off-label use, but it's a designer drug now for weight loss. How many people that are getting a prescription for Ozempic don't have type 2 diabetes? They're using it to lose weight. Now, of course, it's never a bad idea. You know, your, uh, your weight, now I'm not talking about uh, your, mat- your body measuring the BMI or whatever. I'm just talking about overall weight and or obesity, what that means for your overall health. But if you're a type 2 diabetic, you can indeed uh, be having a hard time finding Ozempic, which was absolutely tailor-made for exactly that. But anyway, drug-related conversations. Maybe it's time to have Dr. Kathy Balsam or, or Debbie Kelly or someone back on the show to talk about some of these issues with some measure of uh, education and
0: understanding. Let's take a break for the news. When we come back, plenty of show for you. Don't go away stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your vocm join linda swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you news talk on your vocm welcome back to the show let's go line number one olive you're on the air
1: good morning patrick how are you doing i'm doing great how about you
5: uh, You know, I'm hanging in there. Um, uh, just first comment, uh, you were talking to a um, gentleman um, just now about the antibiotics. Yeah. Um, the amoxicillin, you're right, is totally for bacterial. It has nothing to do with the flu. <laughs> but, like, when you know yourself when we you were growing up, that's all they gave us. The hand over fist was amoxicillin. <laughs> yeah.
1: I was pretty yeah, sure it was. Like, hand over fist, right? <laughs> Yeah, we've got a problem here in the country, especially in the province. We prescribe more antibiotics per capita than any province in the country. And infectious disease specialists are talking about it, not only here, but we've got a global problem with antimicrobial resistance. So it's, it's a pretty big conversation because antibiotics really have been at God's end.
5: Like, it is in a way, but the way that, I mean, I've been on antibiotics. Every time I had a sniffle, my doctor, I've had some I was two years old, get, you know, that banana flavor when you're young, that liquid one. And then it ended up being the pill form. But they gave it to us for everything. I ended up getting very sick at a young age, and I had so many antibiotics in my system that I, my system was, wouldn't react to antibiotics. I ended up on uh, intravenous antibiotics that I had to do from home with a pump because I had taken so many over the years when I didn't need it. Um, So, you know, people need to be aware that that is not what it's for. And, I mean, if your doctor prescribes it and if people know that it's not going to cure the flu, you know.
1: No, it's not for viral issues. It's for bacterial issues. That's right.
5: Yes, exactly, uh, but you know, it's been over to But That was not re- actually my original call, but while I was in the queue I was listening to him and I just had to say that I understand that. That's a really bad issue here and I don't think people talk about that enough um, because it is bad issue. Um, on the other end, uh, I believe that we talked a couple of weeks ago um, about me and my disability. Okay. I can't get anywhere with it, Patrick. I, um, like I haven't been able to work since 2016. I'm legally blind at this point. Um, I've had uh, five surgeries canceled that, that I was have, supposed to have when COVID hit. And I haven't been able to get them. And I'm waiting. Everything's just getting worse and worse and worse. And I can't get any assistance um, I cannot work. I'm basically crippled. Um, sometimes I can't walk. Uh, I, sometimes I just fall down. I can't feel my body. I can't see most of the time. I, and everything's canceled and rebooked and
1: canceled and canceled. and. So just a question for you, Olive. You say you do have a family doctor. Yes, my love. And so have you spoken with he or her about, you know, uh, qualifying, whether or not you're eligible for oh, the yeah, disability tax credit?
5: Yes, we've been through the paperwork. Like um, I filled out my part, and then he filled out his part. I have uh, letters um, from four specialists um, for my back, my eyes, uh, my uh, gallbladder, uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on and now apparently I'm diabetic um, but I can't get they don't know what type it is and now I got to wait on that uh, and now I'm starting to like I'm weak okay uh, so
1: there's there's pretty fundamental tests to uh, distinguish what type of diabetes that you have so just a quick question so you've got the letters from your doctor from the specialist so has the application gone in
5: uh, two years ago, and I've done it twice, and I had to keep going back. Um, I make copies now because apparently they're not getting it, but, I mean, it's all there, and it's very difficult when you got that many doctors, you know, to actually get them to write it up over and over and over, and I just can't apparently get it. Uh, like, do I have to be, like, like numb all over my body and be the you know, well, I can't I can't answer
1: that, but who who made the application for you? Did you send in paper to CRA or did you do it online? Because uh, it once you get the letters
5: on it was done on paper. Uh, like there was a section I have to fill out and my family doctor I've had since I was two years old. And I'm forty seven right now. Uh, so he fills I fill out one section, he fills out the other section and faxes it Uh, but it just is not working you don't understand why either and i don't really know where to go what to do about it uh it it was ridiculous like uh, i'm living on uh welfare uh, which I mean, I worked my whole life, and it's very difficult just not to be able to work, alone not to be
1: able to see. Sure. Why don't you try to get your member of parliament to do something for you? Because this is a federal issue, and they might be able to chase it for you. And it is, of course, through the Canada Revenue Agency because it's a a tax credit. Okay. Um. Uh,
5: okay. Do you have a number for me, there,
1: please? Uh, sure. Who's your member?
5: Um, I'm, um, in Taurus
1: Southern I sure. So, Ken yeah, McDonald. I'm
5: not sure, because there seems to be nobody around here. I don't even think
1: we go. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure Ken McDonald will be your MP. I'll give you a number for his office.
5: Kevin McDonald? Ken. Uh, Ken McDonald.
1: Yep. Yeah. So, okay. I've got a number. Do you have a pen and paper or a pencil? Yes, son. Okay, so his constituency office is 709. 709-
5: 709.
1: 834.
5: 834. Uh, 3424. 3424. Four. So I should give him a call
1: and if they can help me out. Well, I mean, someone working for Ken or uh, Mr. McDonald himself, this is a federal matter and you're not having any luck over the course of two years applying for a tax credit when you've got all of the medical practitioners' letters in hand. So there's something missing here. So there's some sort of disconnect that maybe they can help chase it down for you.
5: Okay, I'll just I'm try anything now. <laughs> Let me know. But, uh, yeah, that's great. Um, well, I guess that's it for my rent today. Uh, I hope you have a great one, and uh, everybody else out there, stay safe and warm and
1: all that gear. Thanks, olive Good luck. Let me know. Good luck. Thank you, honey. Okay, you're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So I would imagine that, you know, if you're someone who has a... Severe or prolonged impairment is part of the technical definition for who's eligible for the disability tax credit. If you, and a bunch of different categories, you know, and they also talk about if you have a marked restriction or a market restriction. And what that means is basically if there are some normal daily duties you're unable to do or it takes you three times as long to do them, so representing some generally about 90% of the time you're unable to uh, conduct day-to-day normal activities, and the categories are really broad. So it's a walking issue, mental functions, uh, feeding, vision, speaking, hearing. These are all inside of these categories of uh, potential eligibility, so you know full well. There's folks out there who have an issue with trying to complete some of these daily activities because they have compromised issues regarding feeding themselves or walking or hearing or speaking or seeing. So broach it directly with your doctor because you may indeed be eligible for this disability tax credit. So, you know, I'm sure that there's probably, you know, some folks who have these ongoing issues and ailments, and it restricts some of their ability to function normally, but maybe haven't even considered that possibly you qualify for something like this tax credit, so make sure you broach that with your healthcare professional. Let's take a break, don't go away. Welcome back, let's go to line number one. Caller, you're on the air. Yes, good morning, Patty. How are you this morning? I'm fine, thanks. How about you?
6: Good. I was just listening to. I think it was the lady you were talking to about disability. Mm-hmm. I just want to pass on that uh, if you look up the number. I don't. I'm in my vehicle park now. But if you look up the number for Swift S W I F T Disability, I think they're out in B C. Uh, just give them a call. They'll take care of everything for you. They'll do the application, and I think they take a portion of your first check, but only your first check, and then you'll uh, have your disability come every. Uh, every year you'll be able to claim your disability and plus I, I guess whatever uh, checks the, the government would send out on a monthly basis, if they do, I don't know
1: Fair enough, you know what, someone told me about that group uh, some while back I completely forgot about them, they're a disability services company and they're, you're right, they're in BC they're in Port Moody I think but uh, I'll pass that along to Olive I totally forgot that they were a thing
6: Yes, I dealt with them myself and I've uh, been uh, dealing with them now for the, well, not dealing with them, but I've got my disability the past four or five years.
1: Just, I'm going to pop that up right now in front of me. So, Olive, if you're listening, in addition to Mr. McDonald's number for his constituency office, if you want to try Swift Disability Services Limited is how it popped up uh, here. So they have a toll-free number. Of course they do. 1-800-963-1969, and they are indeed in Port Moody, B.C. So hopefully that might be of help to her as well. Appreciate that. No problem. Thank you very much, Patty. Have a good day. Same to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's helpful. Uh, is there the equivalent here locally? I'm not sure. But if you do know and you're listening to the program this morning, you zip me off an email or give us a shout live on the program because some folks just need a little bit of a, a leg up or a little bit of assistance, especially when we're trying to navigate some government availability or government programs. Uh, let's keep rolling. Let's go to line number two. Don, you're on the air.
7: Yeah, hello, Penny. Hi, Don. <coughs> yeah, um, some time ago... I think it was an open line. I heard somebody talking about uh, making ice cream out of snow.
1: I don't recall having that call with me, but snow ice cream is absolutely a real thing.
7: <clears throat> yeah, you get so much snow and uh, you use, uh, I think it's evaporated milk, you had have to have it chilled and so much sugar. And some vanilla there. He put vanilla into it.
1: Yeah, there's a variety of recipes. You know, people use uh, put maple in it. And uh, yes. one recipe that I'm familiar with, and of yes. course that's a very Quebec thing. That's where I've had that. But absolutely, snow ice cream was 100% a real thing.
7: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't have the the recipe. You know, uh, that's why I called in to see if. Uh, someone
1: could come up with a recipe for it. I can come up with it right now. Can you? Yes, no problem. I'll read one right out to you. Do you want it? Yeah. Alright, so right off the bat, snow. So this recipe calls for 8 to 12 cups of fresh, white, newly fallen snow. And you're right. And you're right. There's also a uh, one of the ingredients is sweetened condensed milk. Condensed milk. Yeah, sweetened condensed oh, milk. Oh, it's not evaporated milk. It's nope. condensed milk. Yep. Yeah. And now this one, of course, is for vanilla. So then you need just one teaspoon of vanilla, and you're off to the races. Give her a mix in a large mixing bowl, and you've got that vanilla ice cream. The one that I've had, I think, is the exact same recipe, but substitute uh, maple syrup for vanilla, and you've got yeah, yourself some yeah, maple ice cream. Maple,
7: so Maple will be good, yeah. Yeah,
1: so very fundamental recipes.
7: And... Um, is uh, you put so much sugar in as well.
1: Yeah, I would say sweeten the taste.
7: Oh, yeah, the condensed milk has sugar in it. It does, yeah. I guess you use sugar if you use an evaporated milk. Probably. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, and uh, how much uh, the condensed milk?
1: Uh, What did I read there? 300 milliliters? And that's if you use that exact amount of snow. Let me pull it back up. Uh, Yeah, three hundred milliliters, so about ten ounces of sweetened condensed milk.
7: Yeah, another maple. Yep. And uh, I don't know how you stir stir it up. I guess an egg beater wouldn't be very nah.
1: Yeah, I'd say you just need a wooden spoon
7: yeah a wooden spoon just let to you had to make it when it's cold. You got to do it outdoors, I think.
1: Yeah, well, certainly, if you want the snow to be the feature of the ice cream, it's got to still be cold, yeah. so yeah, I'll put yeah. a door out on the out on the gallery.
7: yeah, yeah. yeah. well, th- thanks a lot. Uh, when I called in the other day the other day uh, it was a Dave on, he got a kick out of it. I think it's great. Yeah. Okay, I'll uh, I'll try it, uh, Patty.
1: Thanks. uh, No problem at all. Flick a few berries in it, too.
7: Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay, thank you.
1: Let me know how it goes. You're welcome, Don.
7: Yeah, yeah,
1: bye. All All the best, bye-bye. Snow ice cream recipe, terrific inclusion on the program this morning, and simple to do. Okay, let's keep rolling here. Uh, Let's go to line number three. Good morning, Tina Davies. You're on the air. Good morning. Welcome to the show. How are you, Tina?
8: I'm fine, Patty. I hope you had a good weekend.
1: I did so. Thanks. Nice and quiet. Yeah,
8: <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I hear you there. Um, just wanted to... Um, you touched on the medically assistance in dying this morning, and uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that because uh, here in Canada, of course, we have the highest in the world for MAID, um, which does bode well, actually. But I understand the initial um, medical assistance in dying, okay? there's um, But the, the bill that uh, is going to become effective was in March, I think?
1: No, they put a pause on it. It so was I- scheduled to be part of the uh, policy in March, but now it's not going to be. they push pushing well down the road. No, no firm date given.
8: Yeah. Okay. Because last I see, there was recommendations were due January thirty first of this year, twenty twenty four. The thing that the thing that bothers me is that
9: um,
8: you know there's there's uh, I think it should be called actually medical assistance in living. When we get to the mental illness part, you know we uh, can't. Okay the uh, medically assistance for someone who is not dying as a result of their condition such as a mental disorder alone, is by definition suicide uh, I know some people aren't convinced, and you know i i, I guess I get it I get the medically assistance in dying you know I mean I think everybody does. You know, if, if there's, especially for the physic, the physical part. If you have a terminal illness, those kinds of things. Uh, it's,
1: you know, um, but. But pain can come in many forms. You know, mental illness and pain is also very, very real. And mental illness can manifest itself as physical pain, as as I'm told. So uh, I'm really torn about this entire issue, to be honest with you. Since 2016, over 44,000 Canadians have used medical assistance in dying. But how that gets included inside the world of mental illness, I really don't know. On one hand, psychiatrists testifying in front of the parliamentary committee said, you know, it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, to give a firm medical diagnosis and prognosis as to whether or not you can live with your mental illness. Because we know certain things, like if you get a... Uh, a, a cancer a stage 4 cancer diagnosis and that comes with a terminal label then that's very real and measurable and we understand it mental illness apparently say the psychiatrist a little bit different then you add in if someone has a really severe mental illness do they have the capacity to be involved pragmatically with their doctor I- even in the conversation or the evaluation then you add to it like people who are suffering and we're hoping this would be available to them they say to not have it involved in MAID is further stigmatizing and further alienating. So I don't really know where to come down on this one. All I know is that it's extremely difficult to to navigate, for me anyway.
8: Oh, well, and I would think it is for most of us. Um, It's a very slippery slope. You know, it's very complex. Now, uh, along with the psychiatrists, uh, they should have perhaps a, a neuroscientist because neuroscientists admit they don't understand the totality of how the brain works, so you know at the most uh, they say we can use up to thirty five percent of our brain what other that that leaves what sixty five percent of uh, our brain that we don't know anything about so I, I can't condone I can't condone it uh, the mental illness it just it's just one step uh, too much. Also there's safeguards in place when it comes to medical assistance and dying and these safeguards um they're just you know they're, there's existing safeguards that they don't address the concerns about the ableist messaging of Canada's made in uh, mis- made regime and we need to avoid encouraging negative perceptions of the quality of life of people who are elderly, ill, or, or disabled. Right now, um, you know, when you talk about medical assistance and violence for mental illness, like, who brings up this conversation? The doctor or the patient? You know, uh, I know for a fact that um, in prisons in Canada, you know, we've had 32 prisoners in Canada, apply for medically assistance in dying. And um, there was an incident at one point where w- in doing an intake, and w- it, one of the regular questions uh, for people coming into the prison is, do you have any suicidal thoughts? And and when the inmate answered yes, the person then said, well, have you ever considered medically assistance in dying? You know, like, this is this is scary, Matt. <laughs> It's, it's really
1: scary. It's an but interesting I- part of it that you, that you spoke to there is who instigates the conversation. I guess when you're talking about intake in a penitentiary would be one of the standard questions because there might be the need to put someone on suicide watch. So right. that's probably a bit different than simply going to see your own healthcare professional. But far too often we've heard these stories. For instance, even inside the ranks of the Canadian Armed Forces, veterans would go, to look for help, and be offered this. That doesn't seem like the pragmatic approach to these conversations. As opposed to trying to make sure the system is robust and accessible and better than it currently is, that might sound, to me, sounds like a better place to start versus simply saying, well, you're having trouble uh, staying in your own home, and you need additional home care supports which are not available, would you like medical assistance and die? That just seems like a pretty callous way to operate as opposed to improve the system.
8: No, I agree. I agree. And and, and to me, it's all boils down to money, you know, and, and, uh, and that, that's, that's scary. Like that is really, really scary. Uh, it's, it's just like you say, uh, we need to, we need to change some of the wording too. It says, you know, the medic, especially when it comes to the mental illness part, the medically assistant in living. So, so you, you do the you do all of this and, and they, they say they want to die, um, medically assisted, because of mental illness, we need to have supports in place for these people because they're not often, these supports aren't available. So, you know, you can understand why somebody would say, you know, well, forget it. If I've got to wait like 18 months to, to see a psychiatrist um, or a psychologist even, uh, like, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to wait. But these are not rational thought you
1: know yeah I I suppose we should probably get someone with the medical training and experience to try to help us fill in some of the blanks <clears throat> and again when I hear psychiatrist testify and say that it's going to be difficult if not impossible to come up with a diagnosis that proves that your mental illness is quote unquote terminal and you would be eligible for this policy or program because I don't even know because on one side is the stigmatization and the exclusionary issue that regarding mental illness versus whether or not it should be the go-to versus government's inability apparently or seemingly to make this system better, to expand medical, uh, pardon me, mental health treatments. You know, we've just got a big problem here in the country. It's not that long ago we were saying one in five Canadians, and now we're saying one in four. The problems or the issue is growing and quickly, and the system is not keeping up.
8: I agree. I agree. But to me, the the, uh, the idea of looking towards getting rid of the people uh because of mental illness, um, it, it just doesn't. It just doesn't bode well for me. In in me, I can't. I can't. I can't even see it. There's, you know, you, you talk about the the doctors and that. There's a grave risk if a clinician initiates the con the conversation, uh, regardless of the intention. You know, because there's a power imbalance, right, that exists between doctors and and um, and patients. So. You know, you could bring it up to somebody and, and say, well, well, gee, I never thought of that. You know, it's um, maybe that's a good idea. Uh, and and again, if someone with with mental illness wants to get the medical assistance in dying, they can do the applications. But the safeguards, the safeguards are not there that for this part, right? Uh, so there's, I just believe there's, there's absolutely no way on earth that we... In, in Canada, and actually it, as as a, in the world. Or we're not ready for this. It, we're just not ready for this.
1: I appreciate your perspective on this one, Tina, I, and thanks for the call. Anything else you'd like to add?
8: No, that's it, Patty. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Take care.
8: Take care. Bye-bye. Alrighty,
1: bye-bye. Uh, where am I, Dave? Uh, break time? Yeah, okay, let's take a break. When we get back, Jason, you're next. Don't go away your
0: voice in newfoundland and labrador's biggest conversation
2: if you want to know what's happening in
10: your province tune in to open line every day
0: have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m on open line with patty daly on your vocm
1: welcome back to the program okay let's go to line number one jason you're on the air
11: hey how's it going patty boy
1: grand how about you
11: I'm good. You must have a lot of patience. <laughs> I have some of the questions that they ask you. But anyway, I'm on, I'm on disability, and I heard all of their talking about it. And it was as so simple as making the phone call. You'll see the advertise on TV all the time. It's called True North Disability. And it is out of B.C. I made the phone call, told them what was going on. She said, we need you to sign a form that you can release your information from your doctors. That way, I didn't have to go after them. no doctors, had, didn't have to do nothing. And within three months, she sent me a letter saying I was approved from a disability, and I was going through CRA now and going back for 10 years. And once it was all done and I got a check, any that I couldn't claim, because like, I didn't make much money. I had been off work for a long time. Uh, my wife could claim it. So she went back and she got a big check. And now uh, I can claim it every year. So simple.
1: Tell her to call True North Disability. Sure. We'll uh, we'll pass along any helpful suggestions that people bring forward for Olive on the disability tax credit or any other issue we talk about on the phone. Uh, anything else this morning, Jason? No,
11: no, that's that's it. I like I was just saying I, I was sick for a long time trying to get money and now I got that. I still, I'm on my CPP Once I got disability they give me my C P P disability. So I got a little income and cut a bit of firewood, that's it. But I just heard all of it. she sound like she's distressed and be nice
1: for someone to help her out. I think we're going to get her some help. Uh, and so, of course, CPP disability is a different beast beyond the disability tax credit, which is not a payment. It's a tax credit on your yeah. T4. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. no, pardon yeah. me. It's There's a place in your tax return to include your disability tax credit to give you a break on total income. Yep.
11: Yeah. So now my wife can claim what I don't use because I only, well, I'm on, dis, on the CPP. I only get 12000 a year. That's it. So I'm way below poverty But wife works hard full time So let's see if It helps out So hopefully she can do something with it
1: Let's hope so and I'll follow up with Olive Make sure this gets uh, sorted out
11: Yes right on Thanks Fatty. it's first time I've listened to you
1: <laughs> Really appreciate you tuning in and thanks for the call Yeah no problem All the best Alright bye bye First time caller and listener on the same day There you go Now In reference, whether it be to the outfit that that gentleman mentioned and or Swift Disability Services, which is another outfit that can help you navigate the world of accessing disability tax credit, and I would imagine the full suite of issues. And, you know, people immediately will put forward warnings about how much money they'll take. But that's kind of an individual decision, right? If... You need the help if you want the help. Now, of course, free of charge, my first recommendation to Olive was to get your federal member to try and chase it for you. If there's a two-year wait for something that should be a very straightforward issue, once you get the medical documentation in hand, there should be very little time and or confusion with getting the tax credit. If you're going to use an independent third party, which is up to you, because I, I recommend the freebies all the time. Just make a decision based on how much they're going to take from your first check, what the actual arrangement will be in the long term, and if it makes sense to you and you're willing to pay someone, to help navigate paperwork, make the application, do all the legwork for you, of course they're going to charge you. They're a business, and that's what they're doing. They're in it not only to help, but obviously to make money. So far be it for me to tell you that, oh, you should call this company or that company, because if they charge and you don't want to pay, which I completely understand, because there is such a thing as your member and or their constituency assistants that can be doing this type of legwork on your behalf, free of charge. Well, I guess nothing's free when you talk with the government. All right, let's keep rolling here. Let's go to line number one. Kathy, you're on the air.
12: Good morning, Patty. Hi there. I just wanted to phone and say um, on Friday after work at supper time, I was at Dominion. Uh, went to pay for my groceries that were in the cart, and I couldn't find my wallet. Uh-oh. So I checked everywhere, went back to work, couldn't find it anywhere. I canceled my visa, my debit card, and uh, thought I was going to have to go Monday morning to replace all my government IDs, and of course there was money in it as well. So Sunday evening, I, or sorry, Saturday evening, um, I went outside. I don't use my mailbox. We don't have to use the mailbox. I still have it there attached to my house. Okay. And I decided to look in it, just, just for shits and giggles. So I opened it, and there was my wallet. I I couldn't believe it. Someone had found my wallet, found my IDs, and dropped my wallet off in my mailbox. And I just wanted to send out a wholehearted thank you to the person that returned it. It puts my faith back into humanity.
1: Uh, that's good news, and there are still good people out there. Sometimes we lose sight of that because there are lots of nuisances and thieves and p- plenty of folks that would have picked up that wallet, pocketed the money, and threw the rest of it down the sewer or tried to tap your debit card, maybe. So I'm glad they did that because that's pretty much going the extra mile, isn't it? You know, get the address, make the way to your house, and put it in your mailbox. All on everything was inside, I assume.
12: Well, the money was still there on my IDs. Now, of course, I had to get my visa and my debit card replaced because that was the first thing I did. Yep. Yeah was cancelled that. But I I just can't believe that the money was still in it and I don't know, it just opens my heart. They saved me a lot of heartache because I would have had to replace all my government IDs and I know what that's like. So anyway, it's a little good news. I just wanted to put it out there and thank you to the person that did it.
1: Yeah, and I'll echo that. Good on you, lady or sir, whoever did that. They're, you know, representing the best of us. I love it. Well, they didn't even
12: knock on my door, ring my doorbell to say hey. They didn't want any thank you or nothing. They just, I don't know. I'm still amazed by it, Patty.
1: Yeah, it's a great story. And, uh, you know, every now and then, as people who listen to this program all the time, a little good news goes a long way for me in particular, I would imagine, for the listeners, too. So I uh, appreciate this. And whoever that person was, bravo.
12: Yeah, bravo on Have a great day, Petty. Thank you. You
1: too, Kathy. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Yeah, you know, it's easy to focus on the bad. It just really, truly is. It's the same thing when we talk about, you know, just how so many corners, especially in the political world, the go-to and the one-trick ponies that are basically just rage farmers or talking about what I should be afraid of all the time because fear is a great motivator, right? As much as the the phrase that sex sells is true, fear is an extremely good motivator. And so we're here. That kind of dominates some of the conversations. Uh, For some people, that's their... That's their daily routine is to just try to discover what they should be afraid of. Uh, Let's go ahead and take a break. What's good on that good Samaritan return? All the cash is still inside. Great stuff. Let's take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. So off the top, we were talking about some examples of how much money goes out the door from the federal government to hire consultants. We mentioned KPMG looking at ways to save money inside specifically the Department of Natural Resources. Contract about $700,000. Talked about McKinsey and Company. Well in excess of $66 million has been spent in the first eight years of the Trudeau prime ministership to that particular consulting company. There was another story that again is the eye roller. Just another level of government waste. And this is about the fact That there were supposed to be some seven hundred delegates to attend the Organisation for Security and Cooperation in Europe Parliamentary Assembly. That's a mouthful. It's generally held in Europe. Why? Because most of the members are Europe, European. The only two members not are Canada and the United States, is my understanding. So they were expecting seven hundred delegates only 365 showed up so the government spent well taxpayers that's that's our money right so the taxpayers were on the hook for 1,400 overnight stays worth five hundred and ninety six thousand dollars in total that's an average of four hundred twenty five dollars a night so out the door all that money the big number at about 600,000 add to it a big over budget issue regarding audiovisual so well let's stick with the delegates so 700 were scheduled to attend 365 showed up so all of those rooms that were wasted in addition to that some of the 365 for one reason or another decided to stay in a hotel that was a little farther afield so we wasted all that money maybe it's just not that important to host those types of events when the vast majority of members are on the continent of europe as opposed to north america so in the world of the audiovisual budget They had a budget of $1.8 million for AV services, which is pretty lavish to begin with. That budget got uh, exceeded by 35% on top of the $600,000 on hotel rooms. So that adds up to about $649,000. I mean, it's just amazing stuff. So another example of monies out the door unnecessarily so. Some of the concerns were brought forward by former Auditor General of this province, Senator Elizabeth Marshall. All right, let's keep rolling. Let's go to line number three. Ted, you're on the air.
13: Uh, good morning, Patty. I don't know if, I, if I'm coming too clear, but there seems to be a bit of static air on my phone.
1: A little bit, but not too bad.
13: Not too bad. Uh, I could talk on something that I I don't know a big lot about, but uh, a little bit. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, uh, my friend there, Walt Walt Mercer, that's the auctioneer guy, came in with a book. He said, you might be interested in this. And I looked at it, and it's called The Dynamics of Outport Furniture, Uh, as in Newfoundland, right? It's written by a gentleman by the name of Walter Peddle. I think he passed away a couple of years ago. He's from Spaniards Bay. Uh, I haven't got a chance to read it yet, but I've been fascinated by some of the pictures in it and some of the names of, of Ford, uh furniture. Okay? Okay. Um, uh, several names that pop up. Uh, one of them is very, very... Uh, his furniture is in pretty good demand here in, in uh, Conception Bay. And I think he's got a uh, piece of his furniture in the rooms in uh, there in St. John's, a uh, gentleman by the name of Winters, okay, Mr. Winters from Clark's Beach. Uh, now, this is what I call, like, antique furniture, like, you know, the couch, uh, the couches, uh, Chase Lounge, I think is the other one, I think the uh, fisherman's couch and things like that, right? I do have one piece myself that I bought not too long ago, right? But, but it's beautiful, but um, the workmanship is very, very impressive. You know, on, on these on this furniture, it's it's almost uh, a, a lot of it. I think uh, a lot of the furniture was made uh, mostly out of birch. I think it is in pine, right? And besides Mr. Mr. Winters, there's uh, several names that come to my mind. Uh, I think there was a monk's. I think was uh, from Bonavista Vista Bay. Then there was a gentleman Wheeler. I think it was the South Coast. I can't remember all of it right now. But the the furniture itself, still in, uh, uh, you know, it's a lot of it's in a private collection, and it's uh, it's quite it's quite fascinating. And uh, there's a piece over in the I think in the museum in Fort uh, De Grave. I think that was. Uh, uh, made by a man uh, Patton and I hope to get over there and have
1: a look at it right? But uh, You mentioned William Wheeler, I know mate? who that is uh, so made furniture but I think he's most famous for fishing vessels and he's from Bonavista Bay South I'm pretty sure I'm familiar with who that person is
13: Yeah, like I told you in the beginning I'm not well up on this okay? Yep. I, don't, I don't usually like to call unless I get my homework done but Like, okay, I'm glad I spoke to you on that. When I brought up the name Wheeler, I wasn't really sure where it came from. I know monks. I'm sure that's bottom of this debate, right? And there's more of it in there, but it is just some fascinating looking uh, furniture to look at in the book. And I'm very, very fortunate a couple of months ago that I. if a buddy my mine I use. I deal with a lot of stuff. Like you know what I mean. Like sometimes an antiques, that right? But uh, I can remember uh, as a boy. That was a long time ago. Uh, in my grandmother's uh, kitchen in Bay Roberts, there was always a couch. That was just a simple couch. And I also remember going into the uh, my my grandmother on my dad's side on Monroe Street, and there was always a couch in the kitchen, right? And um, Sometimes people refer to them as a, a fisherman's couch, a day bed. Yeah, yeah, a, a day bed, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right on the mark. Yeah. Okay, and I remember this. You know what I mean? As a boy, but if I remember correctly, some of the uh, be- uh, be- better type of furniture that was also made in New Zealand. Uh, really, I got a, I got a pretty good piece here. But that was in what they always, uh, like my grandmother and them, they always had what you call, a, they called it a front room, okay? That's, that was, I think, now a dining room or a front room, right? But um, the the furniture in that was more, more, like you say, more up-to-date. The point I'm making here is that there was some great work done in this province, You know, before Confederation, especially in the line of furniture. And they certainly didn't have the uh, tools, the equipment, and the stuff, you know, like they got today.
1: There's another name that I'm trying to drag out of my mind here. I know someone who had a a really beautiful piece of furniture that came from somewhere in Ireland and need to be restored and I can't remember if the man's name is Robert or Rupert Batten and he's from just here in Conception Bay and he did all sorts of restoration for museums and the whole bit. I'm pretty sure that he, I think his name is Rupert Batten that did well, that work know, and I apparently right
13: on the mark there because just previously I didn't mean about him there, I had mentioned the name Batten, okay? This was this was like I said, I haven't had a chance to read the read the book. I've just scanned through the pictures, right? And uh but I brought up I guess the name Batten and that that would be I I said Robert, I uh, guess either Robert or Rupert, Uh and that gentleman would be from the uh little town there of Berenid. Okay, there, you know? sure, there okay. you go. Yeah. And not but I will uh, probably this afternoon if I get a chance sometime I'll be talking to a couple of uh, friends of mine, if I drop down to the coffee shop or something, some, you know, few of the older gentlemen there that are from that area, and uh, I will uh, make it a point to talk to uh, people like, you know, uh, Ross Pettin, or, or Vern Pettin, his dad, right? And uh, if that piece is in, if I'm correct, there's a piece by Mr. Mr. Batten in the museum in Port de Grey, but I know the Winter's I know the uh, Winters furniture because I know uh, I know uh, Mr. Winters is uh, late today. Henry Winters, I think it was, but I know his grandsons very very well, right? And I do know I haven't seen it. There's a piece of his furniture in display at the rooms. but it seems like in every bay in this province, or you know, like whether it was Bonavista or or the North Shore. Or over in Trinity Bay, there always seemed to be a, probably one person. Uh, you know, that was a standout. I guess you call him a carpenter or a tradesman, right? And uh, but I'm fortunate enough to have a piece of furniture. I'm going to have somebody look at it, and uh, like Mr. Winter's furniture, it, it, some you know you. Uh, I, I think he had his name or something on it, right? But okay. I I, I called you on this, and. Uh, just to, you know, bring, the, bring this to the forefront.
1: I'm glad you did. Just remind me, what's the name of the book again? Pardon me, sir? What's the name of the, the title of the book?
13: I, my line is not very clear. The piece of furniture, I got, I, I don't really know who made it.
1: No, no, I'm I, not asking that. What's the name of the book?
13: Oh, the book. I have the book right here, sir. Uh, the Dynamics of Outpour Furniture Design, Ad- Adaptation and Culture has a beautiful picture on the front of it and it's written by Walter W Peddle. I know that Mr Peddle uh, passed away a couple of years ago and he came from uh, from um, Spaniards Bay. Okay? When I was the book sure published? It's a good one, okay? When was it published? Oh, good lord. It'll be just inside the cover. I'm not sh- I I'm not sure. I, I don't think it says the uh, don't think it says the date on there. okay? No worries. but if you got my phone is not mean uh, uh, not, I'm not getting good reception. it's probably my it's my fault. but that's the name. I'll repeat that once more, and I'm going to speak to you on some other quick topics. The dynamics of outport furniture design, that adapt, adaptation and culture. And on the bottom is Walter W. Peddle. I know he's from Spaniards Bay and okay. I had to say he passed away a couple of years ago. But before I go...
1: Very quickly, because i got to go to the news. I
13: quickly. Okay, you're the, you're the, you're the, you're the sports fan. Sometimes. Who's going to win the Super Bowl?
1: But, you know, it's hard to bet against Mahomes and the Chiefs. I know the Niners are probably going to be the favorite, and they had a terrific year. Kansas City not so much. But, again, I would be loath to put money against the Chiefs. I'm going okay. to say, Chiefs. I'm
13: going to put a few dollars on the, on the 49ers because in watch I watched the game with the Lions and the 49ers, and the Lions blew it. They should have won that game.
1: Yeah, they had them. They absolutely had them right where they wanted them. But again, and you know, if you're looking at the stats throughout the year, Purdy has been incredible and has met every measure. Yeah. They can run it, they can throw it, they got a fantastic defense. There's just something about that Mahomes kid. They get it done in big ones. So we'll see. He's he's something else by that guy. Ted, good luck. Enjoy the Super Bowl.
13: I a nice Toronto Maple Leaf this morning. I'll tell you about that later. Look forward to <laughs> it. Thanks, Ted. Okay. Thanks for taking my call, Ted. My pleasure.
1: Take care. Yeah, bye bye. Yeah. Uh, let's get a quick PSA about conditions on the Outer Ring Road, Line Number One. Leonard, here on the air.
14: Uh, good morning, Patty. Good morning to you. I'm just, yeah, I'm just heading uh, west on the Outer Ring Road, uh, just before the uh, Columbus Drive exit. Uh, There's a young gentleman there waving his hand out the window. He's in the inside lane. Uh, anyone approaching there? Because uh, sometimes speeds are up with uh, drivers. Even though the conditions are not all ideal, uh, be aware of this uh, individual uh, right in the right in the center of the road, actually. So,
1: and what's he doing? He's just standing in the middle of the Outer Ring Road.
14: He's just sitting his car must have stalled. Oh, you know? I see. He's just basically uh, waving his hand out the window, telling people I guess uh, I don't know, I'm getting near. There's i anyone to do. Uh, but uh, be very careful just before that Columbus Drive exit. Especially if you're speeding there a little bit, uh, because you can come up on this car pretty quick.
1: I appreciate it. So, folks, keep your eyes peeled. Leonard's headed west around the Columbus Drive uh, off ramp. Thanks for this, uh, Leonard. Appreciate it. Yeah, don't
14: sweat. Thanks. Take
1: care. Bye bye. Yeah, bye. So the conditions must have been pretty bad overnight. Uh, On my way to work for on Portage Cove Road to get onto the on ramp there for the Outer Ring Road, there was a car uh, SUV off the road. Then we get onto the Outer Ring Road itself, and only about 500 meters down the road, another car in the median had gone off overnight. So, obviously, the condition is tricky then and probably still tricky today. Let's take a break. When we come back, Don wants to respond to Ted, and Kathy wants to talk about personal care homes. Don't go away.
0: Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com.
1: Welcome back. Let's go to line number two. Kathy, you're on the air.
15: Hi there. Good morning, Patty. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. How about you?
15: Good. An issue came to my attention over the weekend that just astounded me, and um, I'm not going to say the name of the organization, but uh, through uh, volunteering and work that I do, I often work with international people. And as you probably know, these international, many of them are international students. And uh, many of them are working in home care. And you well know, as does the audience, that we're desperate for home care workers. And these people are going in when we have a storm, weekends, day and night, they work. And very often, while they're going to school, they work for a year or two years with an organization. And now when they're getting closer to graduation or they're looking for a job, they're wanting a reference. Well, it came to my attention that one of these home care organizations, a very large one, now has a policy that they are not giving references, nor are they giving a uh, work status report. So we have international students who are coming over, going to school, working, taking care of our needy and our aged in, in homes, keeping them out of hospital and keeping them well. And I spoke with two women, and it's mostly women, international women, that now cannot get a reference when seeking another job.
1: Why would that be? Like, what's... Well,
15: (laughs) there's a lot of reasons that that would come to my mind that are not very ethical. Uh, Many of the home care, and I also have a good friend uh, who has an adult child who needs constant 24-7 care. And there's many times there's no health care worker available to come and care for her son, um, which I'm sure you know that, that we are absolutely desperate for home care workers to go into homes Oh, yeah. And I mean, individual homes and take care of our, our needy. And um, they are not giving a record of employment. And they also have said to not give a phone number or an email to ask for a reference. And, you know, these are very quick phone calls. You know, if I was looking to hire you, um, i just give a call and i say, Patty, can you just tell me, did Kathy show up? Can you give me a little bit of information? Yes, she was respectful. She always showed up. She was wonderful. I felt totally safe. She was here in our home. I could leave and go do supermarketing and go to the pharmacy. um, And she's been here for a year and a half. That's all they're looking for. And now they are not doing it. Now, I don't know where to go with this. Um, And these people can't speak up for themselves. They're very hesitant to talk to anybody about this issue because this is the only reference they have.
1: Yeah, I've got a few potential reasons flowing through my mind here, too. None of them are good.
15: None of them are good either. Um, You know, uh, and if. If people with the Association of New Canadians are listening, you know, different arms of the university, I volunteer with a group at the university that study and stay program, And this is a program whereby you work to um, do everything that we can in order to encourage these talented people to stay in the province. Um, you know, th- this could be a women's issue. 80%, I'd say, off the top of my head are women coming from different countries with no family support here and uh, that's one of the things i do is i help them understand our culture and uh, things related to their career and their work so i don't want to take up any more of your time but i just i'm just flabbergasted uh astounded disappointed and these women are now what do i do what do i do cassie and they they can't ask the question
1: Yeah, and nor do I have much in the way of a suggestion of what they could or should be doing either because you can't force a private company to write a letter of reference. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you can certainly have to uh, be able to add it to your CV, and then, of course, the next job you apply for, they can follow up and call your former employer. But the hesitancy to put forward a letter of recommendation or a referral is pretty heavy-handed.
15: And a statement of uh, status report just to prove that you did work there. They're not being allowed to get, and I know one of these women very well, and I know how she works, and I know that she has been going into work constantly, uh, no matter the weather, has never missed a day's work, and truly cares about the people that she has taken care of, so...
1: Yeah, I suppose when it comes to proof of employment, you know, even with your T4, I guess it could be used as some proof of employment or some check stubs and or bank records. So maybe they can take care of that, you know, having to uh, finagle it from the side.
15: Yeah, but t 4s only come out once a year.
1: No, I understand. I'm just saying, you know, if if it comes down to a struggle to prove you were employed by one entity or another, you will have some uh, options there. But, I mean, that's pretty fundamental stuff. A record of employment is a very standard piece of human resources. It's not an endorsement. It's not anything. It's simply a record of employment.
15: But, you know, what this all does is it minimizes the opportunity for these wonderful, hardworking people to get other employment. Yep. I mean, you could be graduating, and I can think of a couple now that are graduating with professional degrees and saying, what do I do? I have nothing here to prove how wonderful, you know, that I've shown up constantly. <laughs> and uh, and we're desperate for these people to stay in our province and work because we need them. So
1: we I sure do not
15: any more time. I hope the people... Uh, I know people listen from all over the world with, to your wonderful program. Uh, I think it's so sad in some ways that we need you so much, Patty. Uh, you're, like the, you're, the, you're the guy in the middle who can answer a thousand questions and get attention. And I uh, thank you for your important service and your team. I, I really think it's important and valuable. I'll let you go, and I thank you.
1: I appreciate the kind words, and thanks for the call, Kathy. Okay. Take bye care. Now. All right. Bye bye. Uh, just before we get to you, Don. Uh, right after this break, he wants to respond to Ted. Update on the vehicle stalled out on the Outer Ring Road. There's a little red car stalled out in the right-hand lane, eastbound on the Outer Ring Road, just before the Team Gujju turnoff. Number no of vehicles have pulled over to try to help. It's a bit of a mess, says the caller to the newsroom. Let's take a break. Don, you're next. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Let's go to line four. Don, you're on the air.
7: So good morning, Patty. Uh, I just give you a quick call. You were talking to a man about small furniture. Yeah. And he mentioned Berenice? Yes. I'm in Berenice, and and the man up the road in what they call the dock. Well, I can't remember his first name, but that was a family of Battons, and it might be a lead for him. Uh, years ago, I had some small furniture and stuff I wanted to get to place, and there was a man Batton. I don't know if it's any relation to the family in the dock. Or, but uh, there's a man batting, I don't know if he still works, at the rooms in St. John's.
1: People have uh, taken the opportunity to send me a bunch of links about that call regarding Newfoundland outport furniture. So I've got a That's bunch right. of reading to do later on this afternoon to try to figure out who some of these folks are. But the batting crowd from Bear Need, I'm pretty sure that that guy working in the restoration world, his name is Rupert. Robert. Uh.
7: Okay. I, years ago I was talking to him I have some items of what we get a place and that. I don't know if he still works down there, Patty, or if he's retired, but somebody down there those folks might be able to give that man
1: to leave, right? Yeah, and there's also a reference, I just want to check this message here quickly. So it was the call about Walter Petal himself, and uh, this listener, Walter Petal, lived next door to his her uncle. Uh, her, his wife, Sally, is still alive, and maybe we can get her on the program to talk about it, because now all of a sudden I'm fascinated with that conversation. i got a bunch of links that people have sent that I'm going to read this afternoon.
14: Sounds great, Matthew. Thanks. Have a great day.
1: You too, Dan. All the best. Bye now. Bye-bye. Okay, let's go to line number one. Caller, you're on the air. Yes, sir. Hi.
16: Uh, I have a chairlift in my home. Yep. And I found the company, and uh, they do not have a service person here. So what do I do? It's the, I had the chairlift put in on August the 11th, 2021.
1: What and- brand is it?
16: It's an acorn.
1: Okay, that's chairlift. the one I'm familiar with, yeah, because we see those on television all the time. Yep. I don't know what Eastern Health, uh, what their Eastern Medical, pardon me, Eastern Medical Supplies, whether or not they will be able to put you on to someone because they're in the business of chair lifts. They might be have, uh, they might have a suggestion. Uh,
16: I already called them this morning. Okay. <laughs> they were the ones that installed us. Yep. And they tell me that their servicemen is off sick and uh, they call uh, Lawton's on uh, the Road. I call Lawton's, and they're not allowed to touch him. So my chairlift now is stuck down the bottom of the stairs. My wife and I are over 75 years old, and uh, we're, we're kind of stuck.
1: Hmm. So the accredited chairlift repair person is sick. Any idea how long this person's going to be out for?
16: No, he's off on disability. Oh, no. Yep. But then again, they're supposed to have someone to to service them. The chairlift is only a couple of years old, and, uh, well, we had a mishap with a a microwave that kind of smoked out the whole house, and we had people in cleaning it and painting it and all that and my wife was sending down some stuff to me down the bottom of the stairs, and the chairlift stuck on a box of tissues, and that was it, it won't move, no lights on, no nothing, and nothing you can do with it to get it to move.
1: Do you happen to know if Eastern Medical Supplies is in the process of training a new acorn repair person? No, sir, no. You would think that would be in their best interest. I mean, they sell them. If people hear this this morning and say they were considering going there to get an acorn chairlift at the home, knowing full well that you might not be able to get it repaired, that's going to cost them business. They must be doing something.
16: Well, they won't give you any information, and poor old Lawton's in there, they're getting swamped with calls, and they're not allowed to touch them. They have two kinds of chairlifts. They install themselves and service and they're not allowed to touch them. If they touch them, they could be sued.
1: Yeah, that's the, the the whole business of the company itself would be responsible for training someone to work on their product. So yeah, I understand right. that. Yeah.
16: Now here I am, I paid $2,800 for it, cash, and now I might have to spend $3,000 to get a new one installed and haul that out and throw it away. And mm. I need the chairlift now. I understand. I don't need it, don't need it next week. I need it to today. You know, my wife is just getting over breast cancer. She had her knee done, and now I've got to go in and get
1: a hip done. So I need the chairlift. Is there another outfit anywhere in the province that sells the Acorn chairlifts? Not that I can find. I
16: can't even get a, a, a long distance number for To give them a call to see if they got someone around here that knows a bit about them or could help me out, you know. Because I'd much rather spend $1,000 than 3000 to get that thing hauled out and a new one put in. Yeah, of course. So I'm kind of stuck. So if anyone out there knows, you gentlemen have my phone number. I'd appreciate a call from somebody.
1: Let me see if I can find your number just really quickly. and if I can't find it in a heartbeat, then I'll just let you go and I'll see what I can find out. Air uh, chair left Canada. And here we go, chairlifts, stair lifts in Canada. And to contact us, bang, there we go. Uh, I've got a toll free number for Aircorn Stairlifts Canada. Yes, sir. It's 1833. 1833. 295. 295. 67. 67.
16: 43. 43. Yep. Thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate that.
1: Yeah, good luck. Hopefully, they'll be able to sort you out because this is indeed just the Canadian branch of Air Co- Acorn Stairlifts And there's a whole thing about servicing and repairs. Let's see if there's anything else specifically. Um, so, do you have a manual for this chairlift itself?
16: It doesn't give any phone numbers for Canada.
1: Does it have any, is there any such thing as resetting the chair? Because with the electronics world, if there was some sort of circuit break because it got stuck on the box of tissues, is there anywhere to reset the machine?
16: There's a button on the side that says press it down and wait 30 seconds. i done that and still no lights come on. I turned the key that's here. I tried that. And then I said, I'm not going to go any further in case I make it worse than yep. what it is.
1: I understand that. So give them a call directly. See if the, if there might even be another company that sells Acorn here in the province well, who would have a trained repair person uh, doing the work. So let me know how this works out. I'll look around.
16: I will do, sir. Thank you very much and have a nice day and be safe.
1: The very same to you. Take care. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. You know, it's one of those things, I suppose, when you go to install whatever in your home or in your business, and in this case, a stair lift in the home. You know in full well, that piece of equipment like that, electronic or otherwise, there's the possibility for problems, so not only to understand what the warranty coverage is and the length of time the warranty will be in place, but whether or not they actually have someone here on staff or on contract that's going to be able to do said repairs because you know full well for most products out there they will have people who are credited with training and to do repairs on their own specific chairlift system so I guess just in the whole world of buyer beware and to know exactly what you're getting yourself into. If you're going to buy that type of product or anything else, and I would suggest almost anything else, you pretty much should ask uh, whether or not there's a repair person that actually lives and works and can make a trip to your home if indeed that's required. So servicing and aftercare, I mean, now all of a sudden, my brain is so funny, all of a sudden now I'm all intrigued with whether or not there's something that could be done. And But the caller's right. At some point you're going to run into a situation where you're just afraid to make things possibly worse than they already are. So before we get to the news, let's take Jack on one. Jack, you're on the air.
14: Yeah, good morning, Patty. Morning to you. Uh, I was just listening there about the guy with the chair list yeah. in his house. Now I got a, a a lift for outside. Okay. Uh, and it's done by Eastern Medical in Grand Falls. I don't know if they would be able to help you and or help him give them a, a, a chance, but I know they're good. They're good on what I got here. You know, their products.
1: Yeah, I don't know how many offices Eastern Medical Supplies has. I was only familiar with the one on Military Road right here in the city, but I suppose they may indeed have more operations than that. Obviously, you said there's one in Grand Falls, Windsor.
14: Grand Falls, yeah, Eastern Medical.
1: Okay, I'll have a look and see if I can come up with some more information.
14: And I think think his name, I'll give Brian. I'm not sure of that, but I think that's what it is.
1: I will have another look around for. Let's see here, Grand Falls and Dang. All right, so I think I'm going to get another number to that particular caller, and I appreciate your call, Jack. Thanks for this.
14: right, you're welcome,
1: buddy. Take good care. Bye. All right. All right, bye bye. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, the listeners who become emailers are pretty helpful. I mean, because I don't know anything about. Uh, acorn chairlifts so there's a a suggestion to check the breaker but of course if it's not power gone to other parts that would be on the same circuit then maybe it's not the breaker the reset button we went down through i just also google troubleshoot your acorn stairlift very little helpful uh information available there so let's see about Oh, so Dave, did you? I'm going to forward Dave's this email. It was a call about personal care homes and newcomers not being able to get their record of employment or what have you. So, Dave, I've forwarded this to you from Lucy to see if we can help her figure it out. Uh, let's take a break for the news.
0: Don't go away. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM.
1: Welcome back to the show, and for the gentleman who called about his Acorn Stair Lift, uh, the suggestion has been made to check your breaker. Maybe it's simply uh, you tripped it. It might be on its own breaker, like your dryer. So that's something that we'll pass along to him, because lots of people trying to help out, which we appreciate. Let's go to line number two. Zita, you're on the air.
10: Hi, Patty. Good morning. How are you? Doing
1: okay. How are you doing?
10: I'm doing fine, thank you. I just called because I heard the gentleman on with the chairlift and he's having uh, issues with it. When we deal with the MS, uh, we deal with MS and we deal with uh, all kinds of mobility aids, we usually um, deal with lots of steering tops of the road. They got a home health and they do have people that they know that is licensed and everything and I don't know if it will help them, but it might help them to reach out and they might find somebody that would they would know that would be licensed to uh, help him with his chairlift.
1: Yeah, apparently he had no luck with that lawns out on Topsail Road, but we've given him, we're actually passing along some additional information, like there's a retired elevator mechanic that is willing or wanting to help him out. There's an electrician who called me, said that maybe so it just might be a trip breaker. So we'll give him all that info that we can hopefully get him through.
10: Eastern, Eastern Medical Supplies also do that kind of work. yeah I they not know p- now if he tried that either,
1: right? He did, and apparently their ACORN-accredited repair person is off on disability, so they don't even have anybody, which is a problem. If you sell it, you got to be able to service it. So we're getting all the information yes. we can for him. Hopefully, you can get it sorted out.
10: Yes, hopefully, because the mobility aids are their quality of
1: life. 100%. Absolutely.
10: Yes. Okay, well, you have a good day now.
1: You too, Zita. Thanks for this.
10: All right. Thanks. Take bye care.
1: Bye. Bye-bye. So, you know, with all the suggestions about it might be a breaker, it it might be. I have no earthly idea. But I hope that if and when he gets through to Acorn themselves, they'll be able to help him troubleshoot if it's something he can do without the need of one of the repair people. And I'm sure they know exactly how their systems are installed. So issues regarding trip circuit breakers, that kind of stuff, hopefully they'll be able to walk him through and he and the wife can get the Acorn back in action. Let's go to line number one. Jeff, you're on the air. Hey there. How's it going? Doing grand. How about you? (laughs)
9: <laughs> Not too bad, thanks. A little bit a little bit warmer up here in Goose Bay today. Good. I think it's only like minus minus twenty or something. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> it's been no, it's been wicked cold lately. Um, well good for people that need the ice and stuff, right? So Yep. Um but uh, no, I've been listening this morning and, and heard a few callers talking about um the disability benefits and, and such. Um, I've I've been blind now for I lost my sight 37 years ago, and uh, like I was 15 at the time. So like since I've become like the age of consent, um, I've I've been told that I'm getting the maximum, um, like offered or I'm, I'm not sure if allowable is is the correct word, but um, and and I've asked when. Like getting like filling out my taxes to 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 get my GST and whatnot um, that that I'm not eligible for any more than than what I'm getting and and I'm very thankful for what I do get because they they cover my rent I, I live in subsidized housing so um, but but as it is I I, I get roughly let's see two eight seven times two like five hundred and roughly about five hundred and fifty bucks a month. Or uh, five hundred and seventy, maybe. So, so is, is I'm I'm just curious. Is like a these these numbers are like this this swift place or or this um, northern something the other the other another caller mentioned. Do they offer Are these things offered by government or or just by organizations or? Employers
1: or something? Well, I guess there's two answers to that question. So, my suggestion to that—it was Olive who called about it, I think, initially is get your member or someone working for your member of parliament to help navigate it for you and to chase it to see what CRA has or does not have or what's missing inside her application and then secondly if you use a third party independent company like Swift Disability Services or anybody else like most things you've got to know where you're getting yourself into so apparently they can do all of it for you they can you know go through the application process do the follow up on your behalf but of course you're going to have to pay them for that so I would start with my member and see if I can get it done for free and if I'm not having any luck there Maybe I'll call Swift or anybody else. I gave all of that number. Uh, call that organization and see what they can do for you. And see how much it's going to cost, and then make up your own mind.
9: Yeah, because I mean, um, I've, 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 I've like tried to avail of, of different programs like. Uh, I actually lived in St. John's in the, in the 90s and for the purpose of furthering my education and whatnot, and, and well, granted, it was a different time then, um, and um, how can I put this, Molly? Like, um, I, I wasn't maybe as accepted um with, with with like with the challenges I had um as as openly as, as I am maybe today. And but now I'm a much older person and and being a blind person blind people are more accepted now. But but now I'm challenged with I'm an older blind person was <laughs> like in his early fifties. So I like, but yeah
1: and so, so what's so, what's changed for how you think about how you're perceived or I'm not even sure if that's the right way to put it just elaborate on that a little bit for me
9: um, well I, I think for a long time uh, and I can only use myself as an example that um, I, was, I was very optimistic um, a long time ago and, and I still try to be um, but after after many times of trying to 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 get ahead, like so to speak, and and like for like personal development and, and just just in general um I've I've like in my case, like I said, I can only talk about myself. But I found it um that I, I came up with a lot of yeah, but you're you know how you are. And I I don't know if that's a bias or, or if that's uh, I mean it is what it is and I I didn't fight against it back then. I I just and and maybe that's a you know, part of that's on me and my own opinion of how things were at the time that okay, I can't hope to get any better than I am. But but now I'm starting to realize that 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 maybe there was some some biases or prejudices happening that that you know, per, that, that that maybe my 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 personal outcome may, maybe I'd be in a better spot today than I than I am
1: well hopefully you're you're in a good place. I uh, appreciate the call Jeff before I get to the break. would you like to say anything else?
9: uh no that's it um i, I mean like i say I'm, I'm i still feel very fortunate because i'm I, I do have a lot of uh supports due to like being a member of the like i'm a not beneficiary and and they're very they they have many supports like i like get home care um um when needed. And but but a lot of people I think probably don't speak up. And because I, I definitely know I wasn't one that that ever spoke up or even like thought that I'd be thought that I'd be heard if, if I were to ever speak up. So
1: Well, I appreciate you making time for the program. I'm glad you're speaking up on the show. Thanks for the call, Jeff. I'm glad it's not as freezing as it has been up in your neck of the woods. (laughs) All right. Thanks, man. You take good care of yourself. You too. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Final break in the morning. Don't go away. Welcome back. All right. Let's go. Line number two. Denise, you're on the air.
17: Hi Patty, my name is Denise. Um yeah, I'm a home care worker and I've worked with those uh lifts this acre, acorn lifts, acorn lifts. Yep. And uh we I've had trouble with those being stuck too. And it wasn't a breaker. What we had to do was we would have to unplug it and leave it for about 15-20 minutes for it to recharge and uh, you should be able to move it a bit to get the tissue back out from underneath
1: helpful suggestion and hopefully when he gets through to acorn themselves they can walk him through whatever troubleshooting he can do in his own home to get it back in action before you know it's real unfortunate that the repair person is not available but i'm pretty confident given the suggestions we've heard and passed along to that caller and his call with acorn hopefully that lift will be back in action today
17: Yeah, I'd say if you just unplug it and in 15 minutes plug it back in, it should work.
1: That's my go-to for everything. Either press uh, uh, Control-Alt-Delete or unplug. (laughs) That's That's what I do too, Denise.
0: So
17: exactly right. And uh, with the disability tax credit, mm-hmm. I uh, I applied for that myself, and uh, I was turned down, and I had to appeal it twice with the government, and they turned me down. So I had to go to refund services, and uh, they helped me get my money, and uh, yeah, I had no trouble at all, never needed to do anything, so it was refund services here, I think it's in Toronto, but uh, yeah, you can go there and uh, get your uh, disability tax credit if you qualify. Basically, you only qualify if your affected, your daily living is
1: affected. Yeah, prolonged uh, ailment that you know inhibits your ability to perform your day to day normal activities. So, yeah, why were you um, denied yeah. in the first place by the government?
17: Uh, I don't know why. They just said I had to appeal it, and I did, and they turned me down again. So I uh, reached out to refund services and... they helped me uh, but I think uh, if you have a disability, uh, PTSD bipolar, any kind of a trauma uh, that would definitely help like to get disability tax credit so when I got those involved, the refund services it only took two months and I got my money back from years and they're still helping me today to get money.
1: So what kind of uh, duties can refund services provide?
17: Uh, they're the ones that go in and see exactly what uh, money is available to you with the disability, and uh, they would work it out there through your own how much income is, how many years you go back. and I have the number home, actually, I'm at work, so I have the number home. I could call in tomorrow and give the number out if you want.
1: Yeah, it's just starting to creep into my mind that I'm pretty sure someone warned us not that long ago that refund services might be a bit of a scam on some of these areas. Let me have a look around at it as well, Denise, but if you want to supply the number, we're happy to take it.
17: Yeah, no, they haven't scammed me not one bit. Like I said, they, they provide my services. I pay so much for their services, so yeah. I had no issues whatsoever, but I will call in tomorrow with the number.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you.
17: Okay, you're welcome.
3: Take care. Mm-hmm. Oh, you too.
1: Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Uh, and again, I say this all the time because it proves itself to be true. You never know <laughs> what's going to pique the interest of folks tuning into the program. And today, chairlift. Now, obviously, it's an equality of life issue, right? It's an important feature of that gentleman's home for he and his wife who both need that stair lift so there's an immediate concern so I do appreciate everyone who sent along I mean dozens of emails and private messages and posts on Twitter and all the rest of it and hopefully that we can uh, help him navigate it but maybe I'm a cock-eyed optimist but I'm pretty confident in Acorn being able to help him troubleshoot if it requires some extended repairs beyond the in-house troubleshooting then I guess we'll have to go back to the well but uh, as of now I think he's in good hands with all the suggestions we gave him. I've even had a couple of people, an electrician and a retired elevator repair person or mechanic, say that they're willing to go in and have a look to see if they can not be of assistance as well. So all very good stuff very much in lockstep with the fact that we had a caller earlier Kathy Kathy, I believe was her name you know talk about people who are willing and wanting to help and so she lost her wallet someone found it saw her the address on her driver's license I assume and put it in her mailbox then we had a call last week a fella who was 82 years of age living in Buckmaster circle and he needed a plow dropped so we'd get all the heavy stuff from the end of the driveway 60 seconds later we had a call someone's out there with the plow dropped scraping away the heavy stuff from the end of the driveway and refund services is not just in the world of, say, disability tax credits or what have you. You know, the ability to get refunds online by some of these outfits, I will just say once again that you should be careful with those types of uh outfits because guaranteed some people who are operating in the refund services sphere are probably there with nefarious uh, uh nefarious leanings and are willing and wanting and are absolutely ripping people off so be careful if you get involved I mean this last caller uh, Denise seemed to have had no trouble with them but it might not be your experience so just be very cautious on that front with anything that's labeled as a refund service all right very quickly before I run out of time now Last night apparently was the Grammys. I don't watch the award shows. I find them to be tedious. uh, But a lot of people do watch them. And, of course, I don't know what the viewership was last night for the 46th edition of the Grammy Awards. And whether or not it's about Taylor Swift or whatever. But here's a story. And I knew this uh, story from years back. There's one person living in this province that actually has a Grammy. Neil Rosenberg. Now, he's originally from the United States. He got his Ph.D. at the university, uh, pardon me, at Indiana University. He's been in St. John since 1968, he taught folklore at Memorial University. He also ran the Folklore and Language Archive before he retired back in 2004. So he wrote a book called Transforming Tradition about folk music revivals, and that was published in 1993, which put him on the, uh, the map as an expert in folk music revivals. As a result, he was brought in to work on a project that was released in the, uh, in the fall of 1997. It was a reissue of something called The Anthology of American Folk Music, and he wrote the uh, notes for that particular record. So they were nominated for a Grammy. He can't remember how he found out about the nomination, but lo and behold, Neil Rosenberg won a Grammy for that record back in 1997. So, or I guess the award show was in 1998. So that... Uh, record was originally compiled by a fellow named Harry Smith, originally released back in 1952, but reissued in 97, and as a result Professor Neil Rosenberg has a Grammy on his shelf at home, which is absolutely really cool. So he got two tickets, talking about some of the performances that he saw that evening. He recalls Bob Dylan performing Love Sick With a Smile, so that's pretty cool. Uh, What else did he see here? I I read it in the news story earlier. So he also saw who perform? Uh, Aretha Franklin I'm pretty sure I read in that story and others and last night again I I saw a couple of clips that were shared on social media I did not watch the program but to know that Joni Mitchell for the first time in her life in her career performed at a Grammys and then Tracy Chapman who hasn't been seen in quite a long time performing in public with Fast Car which I mean She's just incredible anyway, and that video or that clip that I saw, Tracy Chapman in particular, was really quite interesting. But the Grammys, phew, are behind us, thankfully so. But Neil Rosenberg has one on his shelf at home. Also, Neil... uh He has performed with, what's that guy's name, Bill Monroe, who was a big deal in the world of bluegrass, and he's actually part of Newfoundland's bluegrass band, and it's called Crooked Stovepipe. We actually had him on Out of the Fog a couple of times. I had him on the regatta broadcast that we did a number of years back, and of course, Crooked Stovepipe is Neil Rosenberg, Ted Rowe, Ted's son Dave Rowe, uh, Matt Hender on the stand-up bass, and Carol Bestvater is on the fiddle. Newfoundland's bluegrass band is Crooked Stovepipe, and that's very cool, Neil Rosenberg. And I guess this is probably an annual tradition for Mr. Rosenberg to field calls from the media, to talk about the fact that he's the one and only person in the province that has a Grammy to boast about, and rightfully so. Hey, last check in on Twitter before we run out of time. We're VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Email address is VOCM.com. And, of course, my favorite is when you take the opportunity to join us on the show, whether it be to critique what you've heard, add to the conversation, switch it up and bring things forward that you don't think get enough attention, or broach any issue that's happening where you live. And it's a worthwhile reminder to the listeners. It doesn't have to be anything monumental. It doesn't have to be the most important issue in the world. If it's something that's on your mind, something that you think is worthy of any further discussion, no, nothing's too big or nothing's too small to talk about here on the program. All right. Big thanks to everyone who supports the show. All the callers, listeners, emailers, and tweeters, Here, right. We will indeed pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye.